Hello and welcome to the Shea Hates Everything podcast where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate when my boss tells me that she's leaving the company. And my name's Kyle, and today I hate back pain. <laughs> so two very adult hates <laughs> for this <laughs> yeah. week. We're getting old. <laughs> this is episode, was it like 32 now? Yeah. We're, we're getting old. I know, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's a thing. But, um, yeah, my boss, she's, she's leaving, and we have an interim boss who was her boss, but he had just started a couple weeks ago, and he was supposed to oversee marketing and like product and business development. And then my boss, obviously, is our chief marketing officer. And uh, since she's going, we're going to be reporting directly to him for the time being. And he's like not as plugged into marketing because he's more focused on the product stuff. So okay. that will be interesting. And then they are bringing on a new person to fill her role. But it probably won't be a chief marketing officer. It'll be like a marketing director or someone lower level, which I also don't really love because that makes it harder for me to move up with the company. So it's a whole uh, it's a whole situation. But yeah, tell me about your back pain because I know you have uh, gone back to school full time. Yeah, just you know, like a, f- a few days ago, um, kind of earlier in the week, I woke up and just my lower back was just killing me. Like it har- I could hardly get out of bed. And so I mean, I like I did some stretches and stuff throughout the day in between the classes and stuff that I'm going to, which is a whole other topic. My schedule's fucking crazy this year, <laughs> um, and it's just it's still certain positions. It's not happy with me. I don't know. I don't know what I did. I don't know who I hurt in a past life that came back to haunt me. But are you doing stuff for? the theater like are you building anything because that's what would make sense no it's just i must have like slept on it funky or Mm. maybe it's just like because now that i'm out with kids in classes almost every single period i like i spend a lot of time like walking over and bending down to like help them with stuff yeah maybe that's a part of it probably and you're standing a lot more right and and like we have mentioned you were still doing site managing while you were on summer break but you sat on your ass a lot too Oh man! And so I think that might be part of it. Is your body is not used to your your back has atrophied. <laughs> it's not used to <laughs> holding your weight. Hey, you're like you're like George. <laughs> My body George is a temple. So. Uh huh. Um, one that an ancient Mayan temple. It's that like has one of those temples disturbed for thousands of years. <laughs> it's like one of those temples in Minecraft where it's randomly generated, and so a lot of it's broken down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like parts just don't add up. Right. <laughs> there are rooms where there shouldn't the, be rooms. The foundation doesn't really make sense. There are a couple blocks missing. Yeah. <laughs> it spawned like above land level, so it's like not really connected. Right. Yeah, that's my back. Well, um, that's a bummer. So physical pain, but at least you're sitting down for the podcast for us to talk about all this crap. Yeah, but like I'm trying to have good posture. Good posture. Yeah, so. Smart. That's something I definitely it. struggle with because I've had all these chronic neck and upper back problems for the last couple of years that kind of stemmed from when, you know, I was gaining weight and it was screwing up my posture. I changed my work to where instead of walking around when I was working retail, I was in front of a computer. And so I get that computer hunch with the collapsed shoulders and I've just really, really struggled with that for a couple of years now. And so I try to be more conscious of it, but it's just bad habits, man. I find myself like leaning back, slouching in my chair at work. And then I always just have this terrible neck ache. So getting older, it's it's a dangerous thing. Your yeah. body is just literally disintegrating. <laughs> it's fine. 
<laughs> uh, but we actually have a ton of crap to talk about today. Yeah. Um, I've been playing and watching a bunch of stuff. I'm trying to make up for the last couple episodes where there were fewer things. But we also have a bunch of news to get to. So we're going to dive right in. But I do want to mention as a production note, apologies in advance because our upstairs neighbors are moving today. And so you may hear bangs. I will try to edit out if there's anything really crazy. But also our next door neighbors on the other side have three dogs are not very happy about the fact that our upstairs neighbors are moving and so they've been barking literally all morning so you might hear other random noises and god forbid even beamer starts to bark which will be even louder but uh that's what happens when i don't have like an official office and i'm just recording out of my apartment maybe it'll be better when we buy a house next year um maybe so but then just new things will be wrong Right, we'll get like random creaking noises (laughs) and that like house settling horror movie sounds Looking forward to that. Um, so I don't even want to break this shit down, man. Because I've done a lot more stuff than you. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start us off. Yeah, why don't you um, talk about your video games? Yeah, And then I'll talk about good. my video games. So I have been playing a lot of the same types of things. So I've put more time into Octopath Traveler. Uh, I have now gotten my fourth companion, who is the warrior. And I've made my way to the fifth companion, who I think is the scholar. Is that a class? Or is that yes. the, like the magi- yeah. is he the magician guy? Yeah. Okay, because I haven't picked him up yet, but I'm in his town, um, and that's kind of how I've been playing it. So like, I'll play in sixty to ninety minute chunks. So I'll like do one of the story quests, or and then like the next time I'll explore that town and steal from everybody and challenge some people with the warrior, and then I'll like make my way to the next town, which is like a little bit of grinding in the countryside. And so those are kind of like. It just goes back and forth between those two things. I still think it's a very good game. I am getting bored a little bit with it. And I think it's because of the combat. There's a lot of variation in the types of moves that you need to use. And whenever you come across a new area, it is fun to experiment and find out which things guys are weak to. But right. it is it gets a little repetitive after a certain time. Like once you figure out what those are, you're just kind of fighting the same way every time. And maybe it's just because I've gotten a little overleveled, but none of the combat is challenging. Even the most recent um, boss battle that I did with the warrior, it took forever because the dude was a huge bullet sponge, but it wasn't hard. Like I never had to panic mode revive anybody or use potions or anything like that. Like I was pretty easily able to manage it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm cooling a little bit on Octopath Traveler, but there's still enough there that... I, I play it probably twice a week, maybe once a week, and eventually I'll beat the game because of that. Okay. Yeah, I haven't picked up the Switch since I was in Georgia. Really? Okay. Yeah. How far into Octopath did you get? I had two characters left to get. Hmm. Okay, but you hadn't started the second quest for every for anybody? No, no. Okay. So that's... I don't know how many quests each person, or I guess like how many story beats each person has, but I think the consensus was like each story is about an eight hour thing. Is that okay. right? Does that sound uh, I don't know. Okay. So I think, I mean, it's, it's not a crazy long game and obviously you can spend more time if you're doing a lot of grinding and exploration and stuff, but um, I won't want to do that. I, I can already tell I'll kind of just mainline quest to quest to quest. Yeah. Um, each town will have like a little side story or two where it's like a super simple thing. Sometimes I'm doing those, 
if it's obvious what I need to go do, like, I just need to go talk to this person or, oh, I need to go steal this thing from this person. But if it's, I need to go out into the countryside and into this other area to talk to someone, I'm not doing those because I just, I'm not invested enough for that. Well, you'll probably, like, come across that stuff naturally anyways. Yeah, that's true. Um, So... Fallout 4, I've been playing as well. I actually played last night. That's kind of a, my perfect weekend game. I might play, because we're recording this Saturday morning, I might play today or tomorrow just because I can really dive in. I don't like playing it during the week. One, because I feel like I should be playing other things. And two, when I play Fallout, I want to fully immerse myself and like spend three or four hours on it. And I can't justify that during the week. I have too many other things I need to do. But last night, Friday night, I played for six hours, just played Fallout 4, and it was really, really good. Uh, it is. It, because of how I play, where I want to explore every nook and cranny, and it's so easy to get sidetracked from the quest that you're on, it takes an hour to play through one quest. So if I'm playing during the week where I'm only going to be able to play for an hour, I feel like I haven't accomplished anything. But like last night when I was playing... I finished two quests in the Brotherhood. I did, like, three other quests. I got halfway through this, like, long side quest. And I explored, like, a shit ton of side areas. So, like, I feel like I made a big chunk of progress in it. And that is a feeling that I like to have when I'm playing Fallout. Right. Um, I'm not really noticing the mods, to be honest. I did in the beginning because I got, like, a bunch of new guns. But I specifically didn't use any that were overpowered. And so now they've just kind of, like melded into the rest of my stuff it is nice because like i can um add oh what's it called like i can add armor to like my glasses and my hat and stuff which you couldn't do in vanilla fallout which is nice because it makes me a little more sturdy and i'm not like overpowered i can still die and i do die mostly from falling off of things yeah but um yeah, so, like, I just kind of feel like I'm playing vanilla Fallout with just a couple different weapons, and I can have two followers and that sort of thing. So, it is, it, it, it's enough to uh, feel just a little bit different, but not so different that I feel like I'm playing a completely new game, which is how modded Skyrim felt when I was playing that on PC. That was, like, a totally different experience. And this is just, like, playing through Fallout 4 again, which, for me, a couple years apart, that's good enough. I'm really enjoying it that time. Um I've also put a little bit more time into Pokemon Heart Gold. So I got the 8th Gym Badge, which was kind of the progress that I wanted to make from, okay. from um, last time we talked about it. So you're like halfway so now, through then? Yeah, so I'm ready for the Elite Four. Well, I should say my next step is the Elite Four. But my guys are only level 40, and the Elite Four guys are like high 40s to low 50s. So I do want to grind out a bit. Ugh, I'm frustrated. Because I went and talked to the Kimono Girls who bring you to Ho-Oh. So, like, I have all the stuff to find and capture Ho-Oh. So I went to the top of the tower, which took, like, 30 minutes in and of itself because it's a bunch of, like, you have to jump on ramps, and so you have to go the right way at the right time. Plus, there are level 14 Rattatas that attack you every three steps. So it was a very tedious process to get up to the top where Ho-Oh is. I tried to capture Ho-Oh because I saved right outside of it because I knew I was going to, you know, potentially fail the first time. And sure enough, I paralyzed him immediately. I got him down to 1 HP or maybe 2 HP, like that tiniest sliver of red. And then I kept putting him to sleep with my Noctowl. And I went through a a combination of Ultra Balls and Heavy Balls, 18 of them. 
18 Ultra Balls and Heavy Balls. When he was paralyzed, at 1 HP, and mostly asleep, he did, the ball didn't shake a single time. 18 Pokeballs where he popped out immediately. And then by the time I got through all those Pokeballs, like then he had killed all my dudes. And so I quit and I'm going to reload and have to do it again or whatever. But like, that's so not fun. Like, that's not fun. There's no challenge there. I did literally everything I could possibly do to capture him. And yet I can't. It didn't even fucking shake one time. At least give me a little tease. It's so... And now now I'm stuck up there. Because now I can use an escape rope and leave. And maybe come back later once I, once I have like way more Ultra Balls and higher level guys. Where I'll have more time to try to capture him. But then I have to go back through the whole fucking tower again. It's, yeah. I'm very annoyed at Pokemon Heart Gold right now. And that's just not... I have a Master Ball. But I need to save that for Lugia. Who's going to be level 70. He'll be even more pain in the ass if I don't save my Master Ball for him. It sucks, man. Yeah, it's like what I always did with like catching legendaries is I just bought a bunch of regular Pokeballs because, like, even when you're, I feel like even when you're using the heavy balls and the ultra balls, it's still like it 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 doesn't significantly increase the chance and like it just doesn't feel worth it. So like I almost I never even really go out of my way to buy ultra or great balls even i just mm-hmm. like the entire game every game i always just buy regular pokeballs hmm. um, yeah a part of it's my ocd and because in this game is when they introduced all the like 50 different kinds of pokeballs right i like to have guys in my squad with different ones because it's just more exciting like, my Gligar, I captured with a Dusk Ball. And so every time he pops out, there's, like, purple smoke that pops out. Like, I captured my uh, Mareep, who's now an Ampharos, with a Love Ball. And so every time he pops out, I get, like, little pink hearts flourishes things. And I just like that stuff. I know that's not a good reason, necessarily, to use them tactically. But I like having my guys be in different sorts of Pokeballs. Yeah. Um, I wish you could... Catch a Pokemon and then switch the Pokeball associated right. with it. That yeah. I don't know how that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And I know you had mentioned the timer balls, which I need to Google and make sure. Because those make it easier to capture guys when you've been in combat with them for a really long time. Right. And I don't have any. And I haven't gotten any. Okay. And so my assumption is that they aren't in this game. There are quick balls, which, you know, the shorter amount of time you're in combat, it makes it easier. Right. And I have those, but I haven't seen any timer balls. But I do need to make sure, because if there are timer balls, this would be a perfect opportunity to use them. Because it's going to take right. 50 turns to capture this fucker. Yeah, like the first turn of the battle, you should throw a quick ball just to yeah. see. And That's then, like, what I did. Yeah, and yeah. then whittle them down. And then like throw regular Pokeballs. And if you're still not catching him, like after a little while, just try a timer ball. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously I'm going to go back to it and try again. It's just... It makes me not want to play Heart Gold because yeah. I know I'm in for at least some amount of tedium until I can capture him. And that's kind of frustrating because I just want to play Pokemon. I just want to play Pokemon while I watch YouTube videos. It's like an amazing thing to do. But oh well. And then Destiny 2. Have you played Destiny 2 at all since last podcast? No, man. I got my level yeah. 400 armor. I'm done. You're done. <laughs> yeah, so I thank God did also get my level 400 armor, and I haven't gone back to it either. Um, I was thinking about, because I know, I think like last weekend, Cody 
your buddy who we play Destiny with a lot, he was going to do like the raid and some other stuff with some friends. And he said that I could join and he never, he, I was like really on the fence of whether or not I wanted to commit to doing that on a Saturday or not. Cause that would be like my whole day. And he never texted me back about whether or not they were going to do it, which made it easy. Cause then I didn't have to make a decision. <laughs> I just didn't. Um, but yeah, I, so like I got my level 400 armor. The last two big things I needed to do were complete the nightfall, which I couldn't do with you guys because you guys weren't playing at the time. And then I needed to get my five wins in the Crucible PvP, which I knew both of those would be very tedious. So I tried to go in and do the nightfall by myself just to see, and it was not worth it. So I quit out after like 10 minutes. Yeah. So I went and did a guided game with the nightfall, which is where you kind of say, hey, I'm looking for people. And then a group of two comes and finds you and does it with you. So it took over 20 minutes to find people, literally over 20 minutes, which wasn't the end of the world. I just played Octopath Traveler while I was waiting in mobile mobile mode, which was cool. Uh, and I did finally find two dudes. And because it's Destiny and it's multiplayer, they were absolutely terrible at the game. I stopped keeping track. But I had over 30 revives in this one strike. And, like, in a normal strike, you would expect to need to revive people two or three times. Over 30 of them. And I was really nervous once we were, like, halfway through. Because I was like, these guys are so bad. I don't know if we're going to be able to beat this final boss. And that's going to be so frustrating if I have to quit out. And it did take us three tries because they just they kept dying, and then I'm the only guy there, so I'm trying to run away and revive them, and I failed twice. But eventually, we find like on the third try, I killed it right before I was about to die because they were, of course, were both dead at the time. Right. But I finally was able to knock him out, and I almost I didn't because I'm 30 and I need to be more mature than this. <laughs> but I almost messaged them and was like, "You guys are fucking welcome." For beating that nightfall for you. But that was uh, not a fun experience. But I, I did it. So that was done. And then I needed to go do my Crucible matches. Which, as we've talked about before, we fucking hate that PvP shit. Yep. But to get five wins only took me seven matches. Which I good. could not be happier about that. And one of those matches I quit halfway through because we were getting fucking wrecked by like a full party. So I did. it was really like six and a half matches. So... Couldn't ask for anything better than that. I still hate the PvP, but I'm not going to lie. It always it did feel really good to like be at the top of my team every time. Cause, because all I, I, I didn't care about my kill-death ratio. I just needed to win. So I was playing that fucking objective like you wouldn't believe. I had like 10 to 12 captures every single round. Because I was just like, I don't care. I'm going to bang my head against this thing and fucking capture this shit. So that felt really good. And then now I haven't gone back to Destiny. So what are you going to do? I guess, I mean... Forsaken comes out in like a week, right? No, what? two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Uh, I know. I need to go ahead and get the DLC. Go ahead and pre-order it so I have it. Yeah, I don't I know. know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> but it's been a while for you. And also think of this. This will be brand new content. But it's still the same. <laughs> don't know, fucking but... lie to me like that. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing, man. We're in this together now because <laughs> of you. You did this to us. So now I need to make sure that you're still on board, at least for like a month and a half or two months. 
so we can see everything that Forsaken has to offer, do a little bit of the grinding, do the raid, and then we can burn out like we do all all the time with Destiny. All right. I feel like that's not that much to ask. <laughs> it's not that much to ask. <laughs> like a month and a half of your time. It's but it's not, that's that not like we're going to play every day. We'll play once or twice a week. I know. And also, think about it this way. This is one of the few video games that we play together. It's so true. we have this podcast every other week where we talk to we 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 are forced to talk to one another <laughs> for 2 to 3 hours. And then we have Destiny once or twice a week where we can hang out. And not feel like we have to be, quote-unquote, on. Because we have to be on on the podcast. You oh, shit, I'm like, always it's, on. It's, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Totally. It's not like I'm, I've been carrying you for the last year and a half on this podcast. <laughs> You're the one who should have the back problems, not me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, and then finally, the new game, I did pick up Fee. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Fee and not Fay. But uh, so I bought this a while ago. It was on sale on PlayStation Network because I knew I was going to play it eventually. It's one of those kind of indie exploration kind of games. It's not like really narratively driven per se, but it's more of like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like I I would kind of equate it to a game like Rhyme where there's a story, but it's very nebulous. And it's more just about the experience of playing it. It's not like mechanics heavy. Right, uh, And I was really excited about it when they first showed it because I like those kinds of games. It got pretty mixed, mediocre reviews, and so that's why I haven't prioritized it. But uh, it was just one night, and I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a new game. I'll let me jump into Fee. So I played for probably two and a half hours, which I guess I, I think I got about a third of the way through the game if, if uh, how long to beat is accurate. Uh, and... Um, I find it very charming. It, it looks nice. It has a very colorful vibe to it. Lots of purples, especially, which I'm enjoying. It's kind of... I wouldn't call it, like, um, technically graphically proficient. Like, it's not a high-end graphics game. It's more the art direction that I'm enjoying. I think the music is very nice. It's very calming. It can be a bit repetitive at times. But it's more so, like, the actual gameplay is so not engaging and the world and the story aren't engaging enough that I'm kind of just like, Ugh. like I, I played it about a week ago and I haven't had any desire to go back. I may go back to it. I may not. It depends on if I ever get back in the mood to try it again, but it's just not, I don't know. It's, it's the mediocre reviews I would say are accurate. Okay. The camera's kind of bad, which is, is also annoying because it's a lot of, not like traditional platforming, like hard platforming, but you are moving around the space and jumping around a lot. And you, you aren't fighting anything, really. You're kind of hiding from these monsters, which even that mechanically doesn't work all the time because you're like hiding in bushes. But I've been I've been spotted even though I'm in a bush sometimes. And so it's just kind of like there's nothing about it that I can really glom onto as like this is what is carrying me through. Everything is kind of just like average to below average. So, kind of disappointed, but given the reviews, I'm not super surprised that it's not hooking me. Yeah, that is kind of a bummer, though, because it was one of those, like, big, um, not necessarily flagship, but one of the highlighted indie games. Yeah, it was, it's one of the EA EA originals. Yeah, they might have shown it at Sony, but yeah, it's an EA original, uh, like, Unravel was an EA original. Okay. Um, 
oh, uh, a way out from this year was also an EA original. So right. they have a pretty decent track record, much like Ubisoft, of promoting the their specific indie games. Yeah, this one just isn't doing it for me, unfortunately. So that's all my games. So I guess it is a lot of older stuff. The movies and the TV, there's a bunch of new stuff. So uh, what about any games you've been playing? Yeah, or pi- any game you have been playing? Yes, I picked up <laughs> Graveyard Keeper, uh, which came out pretty recently. Um, I think the best thing I can say about it is that it is a worse Stardew Valley-like game. I'm not um, sure how any of that is a good thing that you can say. Just that you, I guess that you like the Stardew Valley style? Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's a bad one of those? Yeah. Uh, I would say, like, the art isn't, I mean, it's it's definitely, it's a much more grim game. Like, you're a graveyard mm-hmm. keeper, like, you also run, like, a morgue, so you're, like, okay. breaking down bodies into parts before you bury right. them, and, like, you're trying to manage, like, the quality of the bodies that you put into your cemetery, and, like, the quality of the headstones and the space around it, because, um, like, the higher tier of your the higher to your graveyard is the more stuff you unlock for other crap um it just has it ha- it's very systems heavy um and like they do have a crops system it's like it's like they're trying to put they're trying to inject too many things at once okay. um and something something else that kind of bothers me is they like really trivialize passage of time because in stardew valley the time really matters because like that depends on you know, like, there are special events that are happening in the town, and there are seasons where you can only grow certain crops, and you need certain crops to do people's quests or, like, fill out the uh, community center. Um, in this, it's, like, every day of the week different things happen, mm-hmm. but so far it doesn't seem like there's anything beyond just the days of the week. And so, like, as soon as you're out of energy, I mean, you can eat stuff to get energy back, but it's so much easier just to fucking sleep um, okay. and just, like, rest for a few hours, get your stuff back, and then keep going. Um, and so that was also a nice thing about Stardew Valley is that since the structure was more rigid, it was easier to find a place to stop and easier to plan. And, like, I felt like every day I had a laundry list of stuff that I was going to accomplish in Graveyard Keeper, it's all just kind of one. It feels like a homogenized, never-ending yeah. slog of yeah. stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And it is kind of tough too. Like the combat does not feel good. There's very little of it, but it does not feel good. And a lot of like the crafting requirements are kind of heavy. Um, and does that just require a lot of grinding then, or? Yeah, and. I mean, there, there's something to be said for having a world where you need to explore it and learn it and kind of figure out, like, where you're going to get certain things. Sure. Um, but right off the bat, right away, you're encountered with a lot of things that you can't get past or can't – or objectives you can't complete because of objects you don't have and you have no idea how you're going to get them. Mm-hmm. And, like, in a regular – I would think I would say – in a well-designed game, you would have a couple of those at a time, and it kind of leads you along. And this, they just fucking throw everything at you right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of too much. Um, and it tries to have a sense of humor. I think the jokes are bad. Some people might <laughs> find them funny. I just... It's not. Is it? Are they, like, cheesy or... Yeah. What? And, like, because there's, there's a talking skull okay. that you encounter early on who... So I'm guessing he has, like, a rad attitude... 
kind of, kind of. It's like because it's very, it's also kind of like a medieval um, Mm -hmm. setting. It's like I don't know, like the sense of humor. It's like someone from. I don't know who developed it, but it's like someone from Russia or Sweden or some other Eastern country is trying to have like a Western sense of humor. That's what it feels like. And that could okay. totally be what it is. Yeah. Um, or I, or, or I just like poor that. translation possibly right. too. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of him hawing on it a bit. I played it for three hours, three, four hours so far. I just don't know if I want to go back to it. Well, yeah. To me, it doesn't sound like you're him on on. It sounds like you don't like it. Like I, yeah. I guess because I've heard people say good stuff about it, so mm-hmm. I like I want to f- find out if that is true <laughs> for me mm-hmm. as well as them. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know if I'm all that into it. I did. Okay, uh, there's one other game I did because I've been watching. Resident Evil, which is a GameSpot thing. That's Mary mm-hmm. Kish playing through all of the Resident Evil games with Mike Mahardy, who used to grade on me a lot, but I've, he's kind of grown on me a bit. Um, yeah, he was on the most – well, he was on a recent Beastcast. Beast yeah. Because I didn't really know him because I don't – I frankly, outside of the Giant Bomb people, I don't really watch other game yeah. personalities. I only I know him. him from Resident Evil. That's the okay. only exposure okay. to Mike Mahardy I have. Because I liked him a lot on the podcast, so interesting to hear that yeah. uh, he, you didn't like him so much on that series. Right. And he was just like, he, it was like he was trying too hard, and he was kind of annoying okay. in the beginning. I could see but that. But he and Mary have kind of fallen into a good rhythm that is enjoyable. Right. So he kind of grew on me a little bit from there. Um, but again, that's my only exposure to him is that series. So, you know, limited scope of experience. But So they've been playing... They have since beaten Resident Evil 7 and Code Veronica, and they just started Resident Evil 0... Um, but I stopped watching after six. Um, I think I just forgot that they were doing it or maybe Mm -hmm. I watched like in real time six and then I just, they took a hiatus when, right. Maybe it was when Mary left GameSpot. Um, and now she's back doing like the rest of seven Veronica and now zero. I don't know, whatever. So anyways, I fell off at some point. And so I went back, and they have all of 7 and all of Code Veronica. So I've been watching 7, and I was like, hey, 7 is a really good game, but I don't <laughs> want to play it on PS4 because that's where I originally beat it, and the aiming sucks, and I want to play it in a way where I feel like I have better control, so I got it on PC mm. last night and downloaded it, and I played it for an hour this morning. So It has VR support, right, on PC? On, only on PS4. Oh. I know. It was only a PSVR thing. I was that hoping sucks. that, like, by now they would have released yeah. something um, to support Oculus or Vive or whatever it might be. They but, must have had some deal with Sony, yeah, some kind of co-marketing thing. It must be an, ex- uh, an exclusivity yeah. deal. So, um, But, I mean, it's still, you know, it, it still works really well. I have the graphics cranked up, so it looks really good, um, runs well. And the aiming is better mm-hmm. than on console. Um Usually is yeah for people that are good at it. <laughs> for me, it's not. <laughs> yeah. the, the annoying thing about seven though is because they they have found ways to make you not feel powerful in that like when you shoot the reticle expands. So if you shoot again quickly, it's a less accurate shot, even when you're on like PC. So Got it's it. not always pinpoint accurate. It is for like the first shot, but then after you shoot, the reticle expands. So like that's still annoying. Okay. Um. 
but yeah, like as long as you're taking your time in between shots, then it's always like pinpoint, which is mm-hmm. good. Um, so yeah, I just played through like the first hour of that. I um, got through the opening bit and then um, had that awful dinner with the family and got into the cellar and got into the first save room. So looking forward to progressing in that as I watch Kish and Mahardy go through <laughs> right. it. Do you are you doing that at the same time or are you like playing it at the same pace as you're watching it? Well, no. So like I got to like their episode 7 or 8 and then I was like, "You know what? I should probably play Resident Evil 7 okay. again." So I'm going to play it kind of up to where they are and then I'll watch them play and then I'll play right, and right. so on and so forth, so. That's fun. Yeah. Well, that, that's literally all I've had time for. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a new show that we are both highly anticipating that we have both been watching. So I figured it makes sense to start with that. Yeah. And that is Disenchantment, the new Matt Groening show, which is on Netflix. There are 10 episodes. I finished it. Have you finished it? No, I watched episode eight last night. Okay. Interesting. So we, we, let, we'll talk about how it ends next podcast if you finish it okay because the last two episodes are a pretty vast departure in a lot of ways oh. which i don't want to like spoil for you now but what are your like overall thoughts on the show so far um it kind of like it feels like they aren't doing enough with this formula that they've developed and like right. also i feel like a lot of the humor some of the timing just feels off yes like it's I very agree. hit or miss and like, i don't I don't ever really laugh out loud while I'm watching it. Like I like when something funny happens, I like chuckle on the inside, but I'm never mm-hmm. actually LOLing. Yeah, I would say I am a person that laughs out loud at things far more than the average person does. Yeah. Just to qualify that. I usually get like one really good belly laugh every episode. Okay. And then I might get a couple little chuckles here or there, or like some other things where it's kind of like a huh. Like, oh, yeah, oh, I like that. It was a funny joke. That yeah. kind of reaction. Right. But, yeah, it's it like it's impossible not to. To compare it to The Simpsons and to Futurama, granted, this is only the first season of this show, and we have far more of Futurama and The Simpsons to look at. Yeah. But I can't, like, even though I mostly enjoyed watching Disenchantment, like, I was, like, looking forward to watching it every time I did. I'm pretty disappointed overall. I don't think it's like overly funny. I agree with you. I don't really feel like they capture enough of the concept. Like they don't really make the most out of that world and that universe. I also feel like other than Bean, Lucy, and Elfo as the main three characters, who I think are all very good characters. I like all of them. They're all different enough. They work really well together. I don't really think any of the side characters are all that funny or interesting or memorable. Outside of the king, who I think is decent, and Chaz, yeah, who's Chaz. like the like he's I think he's like a vampire maybe. He's like, hey guys, I am Chaz. What would you like to eat today? Like he has like some like weird. He's a really good character. And he well, like didn't he comes come back as randomly. like the doctor, like the masseuse? Yeah, he's like a different something. person. He's like a different like, yeah, like he's all over in the one place. episode he's a masseuse who is also torturing the king, right. and in another episode he's a waiter in a totally different place. So like yeah, he just shows up randomly, I and like I that. really I really like that character. But other than that, like the wizard, the 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 um 
advisor guy with a third eye, like the little pig prince character. Like none of them are that interesting or funny at all. And again, with Futurama and with The Simpsons, they had they've had so much more time to develop the world and develop these side characters. But if you look at like The Simpsons and that first season, those first two seasons, I guess, immediately as soon as like the instant that Flanders is in an episode, he is memorable and he's amazing. Apu, Krusty, Mo, all of these side characters instantly have impact and are great funny characters and i have not felt that at all from the side characters in disenchantment right i think a lot of that comes because they're treating this show a little bit more serialized than they did with the simpsons or futurama so a little i'll try to do this in the most non-condescending pretentious way possible but for people that don't know about this a little bit of like television writing theory there is a vast track between procedural which would be something like csi or the simpsons or it's always sunny in philadelphia where every episode stands on its own there might be some characters that repeat there might be little things that repeat but it's basically like every every new episode starts at the same status quo as every other episode on the other opposite end of the spectrum, you have serialized, which would be your traditional dramas like Dexter or Sons of Anarchy, where the whole thing is a story from the first episode to the last episode. There is a giant arc from point to point. There's a ton of stuff in between something like Parks and Recreation, where every episode can be enjoyed on its own, but it's better if you watch the whole thing. Or my show, Dream Riders, that we're developing was somewhere in the middle with their, with that too, where... A lot of the stories were one-offs, but the characters did have arcs from beginning to end. All that to say, The Simpsons and Futurama is all the way on the procedural side, and Disenchantment is far closer to serialized. I wouldn't call it fully serialized, but there definitely is like an arc. The way that episodes end impact the way the next episode starts, I guess is a good way of, of condensing that. That said, I don't think the show is very successful at this. Because there's some emotional moments that it goes for that I don't think work because it's not serialized enough. And there are lots of instances where the episode will end with a cliffhanger or some emotional moment. And then the next episode, while they talk about it, I'm not really feeling the impact of that. I have, a, uh, I have so many thoughts on the way this show is structured compared to Simpsons and Futurama. Because one of the things the Simpsons and Futurama does is a lot of their episodes start with completely random little mini stories. Like, yeah. oh, the Simpsons episode starts with, oh, they're bowling. And that's the situation they're in. And a lot of comedy happens. And then at the end of them bowling is where the actual story for the episode kicks off. And the same thing happens in Futurama where they'll be on a random delivery on a random planet. A bunch of funny shit happens, and then on their way back, this thing happens to sidetrack them and take them on the A story for the episode. Nothing ever ties back to that initial delivery. That's just the way these episodes start. Disenchantment kind of still does that a lot. It still will have them like, oh, they're at the bar, and they're having a random conversation, and then on their way back to the castle is where the story kicks off. And it just feels kind of disjointed, and it goes back to that, like, they're almost resetting too much to that original status quo versus really progressing the, the, the overarching story with each episode. This really comes out in those final two episodes, but we'll talk about that after you have finished it and we can kind of dive into a little more spoilery stuff. Okay. So that was a lot of my feelings on disenchantment 
anything else from you other than it's just kind of like not super exciting yeah and like it just um i feel like the flaws are more glaringly obvious because a lot of that comedic timing is off right and it seems like things that like i'm watching it and i'm like hey this would be funnier if there was just like a little bit of like sound here like there's just this weird empty vacuum in sound or like this bit is just a half a second too long yeah and like i totally had those moments too hire me (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i think part of what you're because what you're talking about is like too, too, too much beat in between I think the music also fails the show a lot. Yeah, because it's a not lot of good. especially early on, there are a lot of like epic chase sequences and stuff, and the music doesn't fit what's going on. It bothered me less as the show went, maybe because I was getting used to it, maybe because the music was getting better. But especially early, it felt really disjointed from what was happening on yeah. screen. I think that hurts the pacing. And the intro's bad. Yes. Like it has no punch. Yes. Like like The Simpsons and Futurama, those intros are so like they're so wait are you talking about like the the opening credits yeah just that little like disenchanted splash and kind of the run through the whatever like because like you know you think the simpsons the simpsons like that's so iconic and this and there are jokes there are jokes baked into i mean the simpsons is more so because they always have each episode has a different couch gag right but even futurama they have different like openings of like this episode brought to you by blank that kind of stuff where every episode you know you have bart writing on the the chalkboard they all like the intro has their own jokes in it and not all of them are funny but they're always there this is just like a quick 30 second hey this is what the show is like you're watching this now and it's I like, like the it theme song, like though. Per, the personality just feels kind of like it was sucked out of it a bit. Yeah. I and actually, agree. that's kind of, I feel like that way for the whole show. Right. I, I do like the theme song, the dun 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 I do enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It, it, it's it's tough because I think that there's a ton of potential here. I think the world is could be really cool. But because of the serialized nature, because they're focusing so much more on the arc of Bean... You're not getting to explore a lot of that. And, and part of what I'm missing, there are bits and pieces of it, but part of what makes Futurama and The Simpsons so amazing, like top-tier animated shows, is the attention to detail. Everything in the background is fucking funny. Like the, the names of stores or yeah. some interaction that's happening in the background. There's always humor there, and that rarely happens on this show. And that is part of the charm of Futurama and The Simpsons that this is lacking. Right, like it, it yes, it, it, it feels, again, it feels like a lot of that personality has been drained out of it. There's just yeah. not enough of it. Um, and it, it's interesting, it makes me think of um, when I watched Final Space, the Olin Rogers show that got picked okay. up by Conan's TBS studio. Um, uh, it Because that's Olin's first animated show he's ever created. So some mm-hmm. of the jokes don't land. Like you can inject a little bit more personality here and there, but you know, overall it's like it's a solid first season of a first show for him. Right. But this just feels on par with that when Matt right. Groening has been making shows for yeah. Yeah. 30, 30 years. years. <laughs> yeah. Like eh, come on. Right. Yeah, it, it should be way. better. It should be better. And, and it feels very much like he was trying to do something a little different. Yeah. Focus a little more on the characters, have a little more heart, 
which The Simpsons does have occasionally. Like, I mean, that one episode where Homer meets his mom, I cry every fucking time I see it. Yeah. That episode of Futurama with the dog, oh my with God. Fry, I cry every single time I see that. There's like those shows have succeeded at bringing emotion, but those are one-off episodes. This is going for something much different, where it's more about the character's arc, and I just kind of think it fails at that. We we'll see where it goes, and again we'll talk about this next time. The way that this first season wraps up, uh, but yeah. So there's kind of feelings on disenchantment. It's hard not to be disappointed given how much I love The Simpsons and Futurama. I do think there's a lot of potential still there. Like I'm not yeah. like I'm not writing the show off. I I will watch season two. Yeah, I, I feel like part of why it's disappointing is that the concept for the world is good. Totally, they just don't give us enough of it. Totally. Um. So, yeah. And Elfo is fucking amazing. Elfo oh, I love is Elfo. so, so good. He carries He's, the show. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Um, so I guess hit on my other stuff real quick because I know you had some other things on TV as well. But um, so watching Seinfeld, I'm a couple episodes into season nine. So I got to watch the Summer of George episode, which is the one we just referenced earlier with the atrophy. That yeah. is probably my favorite episode of Seinfeld. It's just so fucking good. Uh, we also started watching The League because it's football season. We were really pissed when we learned a while ago that Netflix dropped the league, so it's not on there anymore. So I went ahead and bought the full box set because it was on sale from $99 to $59, I think. Okay. And then I had a $50 Amazon gift card <laughs> from work, so it cost me like 11 bucks to get there the whole box set. So, yeah, I'll take that every day of the week. So we we only watched the pilot uh, like two nights ago, but uh, – we were both we've both just been really in the mood to watch the league again. Kelly's obviously not that into football. She does fancy football with me, but she's not like super engaged like I am. But something about it being football season makes us both want to watch the league. So we're really excited to do that. Speaking of football, I also started watching HBO's Hard Knocks, which is a show they do every season. They pick a different NFL team and they do basically like a behind the scenes of their training camp before the season kicks off. And I'd never watched it before because I don't have HBO, but Kelly, behind my back, went and bought HBO, like the streaming service, because she wanted to watch a couple different shows in there. She's watching Veep and um, some other show that Nicole Kidman, I think, is in. I don't remember the name of it. But anyway, I was like, oh, well, we have it. I might as well watch Hard Knocks. So they have the Cleveland Browns is the team this year, which in the past two seasons, out of 32 potential games... The Cleveland Browns have won one game. Ouch. In two years. They have a complete, they have a brand new, two new quarterbacks. They have uh, two, they have one brand new wide receiver from another team who's a very talented guy. They have another wide receiver who he came into this, into the league like halfway through the season last year. Before that, he had been out of the NFL for like two and a half years because of drug abuse violations where he was like suspended. And he's like, he was a former complete elite talent. I think in like 2013, he led the NFL in yardage. So like, he is like a super talented dude. It's just like, will he still be able to be on the team? Will they get busted again and banned? Like what's going to happen? So the coach obviously is very much on the hot seat, having won one game in two years. So there's a lot of drama on the team that makes it fun to watch from like a sports appreciation perspective. So that's been really fun. We've also still been watching project runway. So you think you can dance, um, just really good shows, love competition shows that are about fucking talent and not bullshit. Uh, and I guess that's kind of like all the TV stuff. I have watched a shit ton of movies, 
But how about you tell me more about The Sinner, which you started last time? Yeah, so last time Kara and I had just watched the pilot episode. Um, so now right. we're several episodes into it. Um, Jessica Biel's a bad actress. She sucks. Hmm. She makes the show bad. And she's not, she's not young anymore, but there are flashback sequences where instead of getting, like, a different actress, they just try to make Jessica Biel younger. How and old is she supposed to be? In these, like, early 20s, if that. Like, 19, okay. maybe? Yeah. Once you get into the teens, that's a strict. Because she's... It's not good. I, I guess she's, like, mid-30s. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Mid to late 30s. Um... Yeah, that that's there. There definitely reaches a time where you can no longer pull that off. Yeah, she's thirty six. I feel like it's got to be easier to find and and cheaper to find just a look alike nineteen twenty year old girl to play, you know, flashback Jessica Biel. But Maybe. anyways, those parts are not good because of that, right. and there there's an uncomfortable. There's some uncomfortable stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, in what capacity? Incestual stuff. Oh, okay. That is like, okay, don't know. I mean, like, it's all in service of, hey, she's had this really fucked up life. She had a really crazy, terrible family. And, like, that's why she has all this repressed memory stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Um and so it's all kind of in service to that, but it's still super uncomfortable. Yeah, I bet. Um, is it treated like it's normal, or is it is it treated like because like in Game of Thrones they treat the the Cersei Jamie incestuous relationship kind of like it's a it's normal. Is it treated like that, or is it treated like this is wrong and gross? Um, it's more it's more so treated like they're doing something wrong. Okay, and like they know it kind of right. thing um but it's like the situation is more complicated than that like there's a loose just well I, it's not a loose justification it's a solid justification but i don't know how effective for me personally that justification is for why it happens right um but it's like it's just it's weird and like there are a few standout actors, but Jessica Biel is bad, and the guy who plays her husband I don't think is very good either. Um, but, I mean, the dude from Spaceballs is really good. <laughs> okay. He's doing he's doing a nice job. And, like, there are a lot of kind of side characters that are, I think, are very good I as think well. I think probably more people would know him as the president from Independence Day than they would know oh, him as true. the main dude from Spaceballs. That's true. I forgot he was in Independence Day. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I don't. It, it, she, we need to finish it because we okay. need to know the whole story. Because right. it is, it's like it's a fascinating story with a lot of twists and turns, and like we don't know what's gonna be the true reason or what what's gonna happen next. I've had a lot of theories, mm -hmm. um, and some of them have proved to be true, but a lot of them have proved to be not, um, and not necessarily because of like. Um, not because of the Marcella thing, where it's just they're not right. telling you these things. I was literally just thinking of Marcella. <laughs> Man, that right. show is so fucking terrible at the end. Yeah, it well, and it's. <laughs> I'm making incorrect assumptions based on the information they have given me, 
because I don't, I don't, it's, it is because I don't have bits of information like in Marcella, but the reason I don't have those bits of information is because of her like repressed memory stuff. Um, and it does have, sometimes it has kind of a frenetic pace that helps Mm -hmm. the momentum continue. Um, it's better than season two of Marcella. (laughs) I will say that so far. Okay. I mean, again, I don't know what the ending is. And that was right. the whole problem with season right. two. So it, it could be just as bad, but um, yeah, it's it's good so far. There's just like that weird incestual stuff bugs me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, maybe there will be a payoff with that that'll make it make a little more sense. Yeah. Well, I'm something happened at the end of the episode we just watched that was okay. like holy shit. So. <laughs> Yeah, interested to see where that goes or how she deals with remembering that tidbit. Um, so yeah, that's the sinner on Netflix. Jessica well, Biel. Speaking speaking of uh, incestuous relationships, go on. Actually, I don't really have a transition for that. Okay, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard transition to make for a lot of reasons. So I have not done a good job of watching movies, right? So I, this past two weeks, committed and said, like, oh, I'm going to watch at least one new movie a week. And I watched four in the past two weeks, so I'm pretty proud. So first, uh, Kelly and I watched A Futile and Stupid Gesture, which is on Netflix. It came out in, like, February, I believe. It is about Doug Kenny, who uh, started the National Lampoon magazine, and then he wrote Animal House and Caddyshack, and Classic then kind of films from him spun the National Lampoon franchise. Okay. Uh, Will Forte plays him, and I love Will ah. Forte. He is weird as shit, but I love him. It's a weird movie. Uh, it has a bunch of actors in it that you will recognize. Um, Joel McHale is in it. He plays Chevy Chase, which is perfect casting because Joel McHale is so good at playing that, like, charming guy that you fucking hate, (laughs) which is like Chevy Chase. I cannot stand Chevy Chase. So Joel McHale is perfect casting for that. Like, Seth Green is in it, has a small role. Um, Donald Gleason plays um, Doug Kenny's, like, partner. And he's, like, that kid kid he's older than me he's fucking amazing actor he does not get enough credit i've seen him in like 10 things in the past couple of years and he plays such different characters he's so fucking good the only thing that he is really bad in is star wars he plays general hux the redheaded yeah general guy and he is real bad in that movie he is really hamming it up and it doesn't work but everything else that i've seen him in he's amazing and he's amazing in this as well. He's more of the, like, the serious character in this movie. It fucking goes places. Because it's a biopic about Doug Kenny. And it does a lot of, like, fourth wall breaking, which is really, really enjoyable. Where, like, Doug Kenny... I don't... Because I don't want to spoil it for anybody that's going to watch and doesn't... Well, no. I can't spoil it because it's real life. So Doug Kenny committed suicide. Uh, shortly after Caddyshack came out. And there was a whole thing because he wrote it. The studio got their hands on it, wanted to rewrite it. The whole, like, dancing gopher was not Doug Kenny. He hated that, and they made it, like, this kid's movie, and he was ashamed of it, and he was also a big druggie. He was divorced, and then he was with another woman that he kept cheating on, and he was kind of a bad person, and he kills himself. And uh, so it, there's some, like, serious stuff about this movie as well. 
Some he's, he's a man stuff. whose life you need to unpack. Yes. In order to understand. Right. It reminds me a lot of what we have learned about Robin Williams and Jim Carrey late in their careers. That it's these guys that are so effortlessly, effortlessly hilarious all the time. Like, they're depressed because they can't not be hilarious all the time. They don't know how to be a functioning adult because there's still a child in their minds. They're still goofing around and playing pretend all the time. And so when it comes to real life, they don't know how to do real life. And that is so sad. And, like, it, yeah, it sucks, man. Because I was talking to Kelly about it after. And her thing is, like, this guy, like, he he created so many things that made, gave people so much joy and yet he is so sad in his life, his own life. And that's sad. So it's it's a comedy movie, obviously. But there's some real fucking dark stuff that happens in the movie. Is it kind um, of is it kind of like a caricaturization of him, like being in being John Malkovich? Impossible to say. It, okay. it, the movie doesn't come across like it's doing that, but I also didn't know Doug Kenny, so I can't say if it's a realistic take on him or not. Yeah. It seems realistic to me. There's, they also do a thing where, uh, I don't remember the actor's name, but a dude plays old Doug Kenny, like 60 year old Doug Kenny, which didn't exist because he killed himself in like his late thirties. Right. But he kind of is the narrator and frames the whole story. And that's a really fascinating thing too. And like, he'll, he'll talk to, quote-unquote real Doug Kenny during the movie. Like, they'll have conversations and they break the fourth wall with that kind of thing. It's a really cool framing for this movie. It is... Oh, I'm trying to remember if I wrote down... I didn't write down who directed it. But it's the guy that directs um, Children's Hospital, if you've seen that, on Adult Swim, which is a really funny show. But, uh... Shit, I won't. I don't remember his name. That's okay. But he's a really good comedic director, and he definitely kind of brings a style to this, which I really liked. But I'm. It's one of those where like, I enjoyed the movie, but I'm not sure how much I enjoyed it, just because it's fucked up. Yeah. And like Doug Kenny was a bad person, and so it's it's hard to, it's hard to like. I mean, you can have sympathy for him, sure, but it's hard to like root for him, you know? Yeah, yeah. Given yeah. everything that he did in the movie. Similarly. I watched You Were Never Really Here, which is a very different kind of movie. So this is Joaquin Phoenix. Right. It is a very, very dark drama. Kind of like the setup of his character is... Oh, man. I don't know how much of the backstory I want to give. But he is kind of like a hitman where he tracks down abducted kids and rescues them and fucking murders the shit out of the people that abducted these kids. And the movie's a fucking bummer. Like, holy shit, the movie's is a fucking bummer. Like, you need to be in the right mood if you're going to watch this. Just to give anyone a heads up. You need to know what you're getting in for. It is extremely dark. Extremely depressing. I'm still kind of unpacking it. I watched it a couple days ago. And I'm still like, did I? I know I didn't enjoy the movie in the traditional sense. But, like, did I like it? Did I appreciate it? I still don't know yet because it's so <laughs> fucked up. The director definitely knows, like, she definitely has a vibe that she is going for and a style that she's going for, and she knocks it out of the park. Like, you cannot 
like the thing that she does, but she totally nails the thing that she is doing. So props to that. There's a sequence. There's just a lot of cool like cinematography in the way that she tells the story. So there's a sequence where he's going to rescue this little girl, and he's he basically just like walks into this rape den with a bunch of dudes and guards with just like a ball ping hammer and is just fucking beating the fuck out of all these guys and all of the shots are done through security cameras oh interesting so like you'll see like you know him walking in the front door and then it cuts to a hallway and then it cuts to the bathroom and then it cuts to the stairwell where slightly off camera you're seeing him beat the fuck out of a dude and then it cuts back to the hallway and then it cuts back to the stairwell where this dead body is rolling down the stairs and then it cuts back to the hallway where you see him walking and then it cuts back to the bathroom and then it cuts back to the hallway where he's beating the shit out of someone else so it's like it's and all of it's like I'm trying to remember if there was like no music or very minimal music where it's just kind of like, this is what it is. Right. And that was so effective and obviously very memorable for me, that whole sequence. It's just, oh man, it, I don't know. Like when I think of, cause I'm always thinking about my top 10 movies of the year kind of thing. And I'm always ranking them in my head, figuring out where things stack up against each other. I don't know if this is, if this movie is amazing or if I didn't really get enough out of it because it's so nebulous the ending is so weird i just i don't know i'm very confused about this movie you were never really here to reiterate with it what its title was so i don't know fucking how i feel yet i'm gonna try to write a review because i think that'll help me put my thoughts together but we'll see i might not have the energy to review a movie like this because it's so (laughs) fucking depressing okay Something that isn't depressing is Isle of Dogs. And I should qualify, it is not I Love Dogs, which I believe is another movie that came out recently, which looks like hot trash about dogs. This movie is Isle, like Island, Isle of Dogs, the Wes Anderson movie. And so it's done in a similar kind of stop motion, not puppets, but like, what would you call those things? Like from Fantastic Mr. Fox. They're not like action figures. What is that called? What They're is like Fantastic little... Mr. Fox? Huh? What is Fantastic Mr. Fox? Oh, it was a Wes Anderson movie from a couple years ago. You didn't see that? Nope. Oh, shit. Well, you're not, then you're no help. But it's <laughs> like, they're like little, they're not puppets. They're like little action figures that they do with stop motion. Like, almost claymation-ish, but it's, they're actual, like, things. Is it like how they filmed the Lego movie? Uh, maybe. I haven't seen the Lego movie. Maybe. Oh. But anyway, well, it, it's real life objects, but it's just stop yes. motion. Yes. And they probably do a little bit of CG touch ups and stuff. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And they kind of like animate the mouths and things like that. Yeah. Um, it's just a fucking adorable movie. The whole thing is about this made up place in Japan in the near future where they basically like outlaw dogs because they have a bunch of diseases. And rather than trying to cure the diseases, they just exile the dogs to a trash island. And this little boy, like, his dog gets outlawed there, or, excuse me, exiled there, and he goes there to try to rescue the dog, and it's just a grand adventure, and, um, it's just fucking cute as shit. And he ends up with cholera and rabies. (laughs) (laughs) The dogs are just, like, dogs are so good. I just, dogs are the bomb, and anything about dogs, I'm gonna love. And this has such a fun attitude to it, 
because uh, it doesn't take itself all that seriously, but it also, because it's Wes Anderson, takes itself really fucking seriously. So it has that, like, tongue-in-cheek, but also really serious tone at times that he just nails. He's a master of that. And it's funny to see in a movie like this how you can st- you still know the second you start watching it that it's a Wes Anderson movie. Just the way that he shoots things. It's a lot of straight-on camera angles, the overhead camera angles deadpan line delivery a lot of like stillness and like pauses in between characters talking he just has his vibe that translates through any genre of film i would love to see him like do a horror movie because that would be fascinating to see how wes anderson would adjust his style to that kind of thing yeah but uh it's really fucking good i love i loved the movie kelly and i were just like i mean it's it's like a i mean it's like a wes anderson movie it's a feel-good-ish comedy-ish about characters-ish kind of movie. It's not like a... You're not laughing out loud, but it's very charming. And um, I guess to elucidate, like, kind of the stop-motion thing, there's one bit where, to do steam, they use, like, little fuzz. Where, like, they do stop-motion little fuzz coming out. And okay. that, that kind of detail I just really, really enjoy. Uh, and this movie's full of that kind of thing. Full of... um those little minute details. They also do, because it's stop motion, that's what real life is. And there are a lot of sequences where people are watching the quote unquote real life happen on television. And when you're seeing the television, it's animated, like it's actual animation. And that I think is a really, really cool stylistic thing to differentiate between the TV and the the real world. And then finally, I watched uh, Ready Player One. So I haven't read the book, so everything in mind with that. I thought it was, like, a decent adventure. I think most of the CG is pretty good. The movie is, like, crazy CG. Most of the movie is CG. Right. It's all... It's it's pretty high quality. I know that this is what the book is. It's all about pop culture and stuff. I found a lot of that to be kind of cringy at times. And a lot of the jokes about... The conversations about the pop culture to be kind of cringy, like, felt very forced. Um... I am curious now to read the book because I did enjoy the adventure. I will say that it comes across very much like it's a young adult book where it's all about these kids rising up in revolution to some kind of corporate overlord. And that's the focus of the story versus it being about exploring the world because the world is really, really cool. I mean, it's like it's a video game world where it's this virtual reality that has been created where everyone lives. There's so much potential there, but instead they're more focused on overthrowing this bad corporate dude and the two main characters falling in love for no reason. And so it's just kind of like, I roll my eyes a lot at the story, but the world of it is very cool. And there are some very fun kind of over-the-top action-y sequences. So it's okay. It's not amazing, but it was fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, and those are kind of my movies so i actually did read some comics but how about you tell me about some comics that you read yeah so um i I worked a couple of events the past couple weeks so on on the weekends um so i read descender volume five which is that um uh the kind of mass effecty space one with the Mm -hmm. the ai and Mm -hmm. you know what makes a true human like what what is real humanity and all that stuff um volume five was very good very good ending to that particular trade um very very much looking forward to volume six i wa- uh, i watched i read star wars dr afro volume three okay continues to be 
very solid. She is an awesome character. Yeah. Um, and I read the main Star Wars ongoing um, volume six, which was interesting. It was it was like a a collection of small vignettes about like, hey, what's everyone doing? Okay. Right now in the universe, and like at the end of each issue, it would like have a small transition lead in to who was going to be in the next issue, like who was gonna mm. it was gonna focus on. So that was interesting, at least. Kind of, they broke it up a little bit there. Um, yeah, and I have volumes seven and eight still to read with that. And I just got... Oh, East- Star Wars? Yeah, and I just got East of West volume eight. Hmm. I think I can't read from that far away. <laughs> but I have volume eight of East of West that just came out um, that I need to read. Sweet. So, comics, comics, comics. What about you? Yeah, well, I i mean, I guess I should say I finished Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows. Okay. And just like I thought, I had that kind of, like, multi-day depression, like, that it, that it was over kind of feeling. Yes. And also reading through it again, because it's been a while, the last third of that book fucking gets dark. Like, yeah. with all these characters dying and shit, it's just, like, it gets pretty heavy compared to a lot. You, you know, there are lots of heavy moments throughout that series, but that especially is, like... It can be a bummer, but Harry Potter continues to be very good. Harry Potter uh, grew up with you. <laughs> totally. Well, kind of. Kind of. I was in... No, I guess I was in high school when I started reading it. Because I didn't get into it until, like, book four was already out because you had been reading it. So I think it was, like, kind of my whole high school thing was when I read Harry Potter. Okay. Um, but, yeah. I started cataloging comics. So... Uh, it was a lot of fun. Be like and, your brother. Yeah, it sounds crazy to say that it's fun. And I talked to Kelly about it, Love and she's it. like, she's like, I wouldn't want to do that, but I totally get why that's fun. So and like, satisfying. She, because I did it one, I think I did one evening or something. Oh, <laughs> we were fighting, and I did it one night when we were fighting, and so she was in the bedroom, and I was in here doing my thing. I'm trying to remember why, because she wants to sit in here with me while I do it. <laughs> and, like, do her own thing on her iPad. But, like, she wants to be around me while I'm doing it because she likes watching me organize things. <laughs> and I was trying to remember, like, oh, why why wasn't she in here watching me that time? Oh, it's because we were fighting. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. We're not fighting anymore. But, uh, yeah. So I started cataloging. I started with Star Wars because of my, like, seven long boxes, the Star Wars stuff I have the least amount of and would be easiest to organize because it's all one big Thing about Star Wars versus like DC where there are a million characters. That's crazy to me that you Star Wars is the thing you have the least of because that's the thing I have the most of because I don't really yeah. do superhero comics. Well, exactly. Dude, I have I have two full, completely full long boxes just of DC and I have three completely full long boxes just of Marvel. Man. One one of those long boxes on Marvel is only Spider-Man. I have a completely full long box of only Spider-Man comics. Hell yeah. <laughs> that, okay, so, I did just order the first collection of Brand New Day. Like the book okay. one of Brand New Day for Spider-Man. Yeah, so. that's very good. That's and very I, good. I did find out, because I have all those like weird little disparate issues of Spider-Man, I found right. out that one of the issues that I bought like years ago, it was like 573 or something of mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man. Um Brand New Day kicks off in, like, issue 580-something. So I was like, oh, I was actually pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Cool. Um, So, yeah, I started with Star Wars. It took me about 90 minutes to organize. 
it's it's like a little bit because I had my Star Wars stuff in a in a short box, and I had a little bit of spillover, which is why I wanted to to transition it to a to a long box. So basically, like two thirds of a long box took me ninety minutes to get through, and that was probably the easiest one to organize. So Jeez. I've got a lot of time ahead of me to do this, but uh, yeah, man, it was it was fucking fun as hell, um, and doing that. I also went through and, hey, like the Star Wars ongoing series, the Dr. Aphra series, let me figure out what I need to buy to catch up, as well as Darth Vader, because I was reading that, and then right around the time I stopped, Darth Vader ended, which is where Dr. Aphra spun off of, so I, I want to get, like, the rest of Darth Vader so I can have that. Yeah, and so, now there's a new Darth Vader. Oh, uh, damn Dark it, really? Dark Lord of the Sith. Okay. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how far they are into that one yet, though. I'm like, I... I am excited to finish this because then I'll know everything I feel like I need to buy to catch up, and then I can prioritize how I want to do that because it's going to be way too much money to actually spend on doing this. So I want to figure out what it is I need so that I can kind of move forward and it isn't just this like blank check kind of number in my head. But doing that made me a lot more inspired to actually start reading some of my comics. So I needed to – I have um, – trade seven of saga and trade one of dr afra that i was going to read at work once i finished harry potter so i started reading trade seven of saga and i was very quickly like i don't remember what's happening here because it's been like at least a year since i've read that well so, a lot of saga in between trades it jumps a lot it of jumps, time yeah yeah so. yeah so the other thing was on like page four there was a giant picture of the dude with the television head fucking jerking off. So yep. there's a big dick right in yep. the middle of the, the panel. So Robo I was like, dick. Actually, probably shouldn't read this at while I'm at work because yep. this is not appropriate. Nope. So I read the first trade of Doctor Afra instead, <laughs> okay. uh, and I had a good time with it. I, I love Triple Zero and BT. I think they're great characters. I think Do- Afra herself is a really good character. That actual first arc, I thought was just kind of average. It was. Um, with her dad where they go to like this planet and like it was right. it was kind of i think it comes a lot down to the art i didn't think the art did a very good job telling the story i was confused a lot panel to panel so hopefully that gets better as it goes yeah, the but. art changes i don't remember if it was in volume two or volume three but the art changes a bit kind of the okay. depiction of her okay that's good to know um but yeah that i mean that was fun uh, I also read The Adventure Zone, the first trade of the Here There Be Gerblins. Oh, I man. read through that. I just I needed I need another trade of it immediately. Yeah, I I liked it. I didn't love it, and I really? think it's because the writing is so different than what actually happens, like the jokes and stuff. It, it, it and maybe I'm just totally misremembering, but it wasn't nearly as funny as the actual show is. I think it's framed really well, like how they have Griffin pop in and break the fourth wall occasionally. I like that they use it a little more sparingly than I would have anticipated. And it's still like a really fun story. I love all three of those characters, but I didn't love the the comic as much as I was hoping to. Interesting, because like, they, have, they have so many funny moments and jokes, and I thought the comic did a really good job of incorporating all of those. Like, not necessarily them telling the jokes, but like putting the jokes in the in the background mm-hmm. and like in the environment mm-hmm. um like in like the small details and stuff like sometimes they'll have like a five minute conversation about this one dumb thing and it winds up being like on the side of the wagon or in the wagon or something and you're like oh yeah i right. remember that right. because like they can't possibly put everything in totally but they find like the really good stuff and at least 
it's in a panel somewhere, you know, and it's, it's fun to go like, oh, yeah, I remember that. A lot of the running jokes and running gags they introduce here, which, yes. which as a big fan of the show, obviously, I appreciated. Yeah. I also really liked the art. Um, it's not, like, super uh, flashy, but I think it does the job, and it shows the expressiveness of the characters. And, like, yeah. I hear their voices as I read it, which oh, is for really sure. cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be, like, back into comics. That was when I first fucking started Shea Hates Everything. That was one of my core pillars was comics, and I just fell off hard. And just haven't really gotten back into it. So doing the cataloging is really inspiring me again to go back and read some stuff. And frankly, inspiring me to go back and reread a lot of comics that I already own. Like, I would love to go read the whole arc of Star Wars Legacy comic. Because I really, really liked that with Cade Skywalker. I thought that was so cool. Dark Times, the uh, Blue Harvest kind of arc that takes place between episode 3 and 4, I think it is. Uh, after Order 66. There's just a lot of really cool Star Wars stuff, and I'm sure going through all my other comics, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things I would like to reread as well. Yeah. So, that's kind of everything we've been watching and playing and reading. Mostly you. <laughs> yeah, mostly me. Hey, for for a couple episodes there, it was you carrying the the content when it comes to that, so I'm happy to... I'm that's glad that I, I have did back a lot problems. of <laughs> There you go. Yeah, now my, I'm going to pass it on to you. Right. Yeah, that's fine. So, a lot of news to talk about. There's not a ton of, like, huge news, but a lot of things that are worth discussion. So, um, I guess let's might as well dive in. The first big thing is a bit more of a public service announcement. So, Amazon, there was, there was a whole thing. I don't remember if we talked about it last podcast or not. But there's been a whole thing going on with Sony games not being available for pre-order on Amazon and therefore not being able to get the 20% discount on Sony games. So, like, I wanted to go pre-order Spider-Man, but you can only pre-order a download digital code and you don't get the discount. So why am I going to do that? And there was a lot of scuttlebutt of people like, oh, Sony hasn't isn't happy with their deal with Amazon. They want their own money or the PlayStation Store or whatever because Sony's greedy because that's the message that people want to have right now because they're winning and we always want the winner to fail. But anyway, that was a whole big discussion the last couple of weeks. Amazon has come out and said, hey, we're going to stop all pre-order bonuses on games. So as of August 28th, you will no longer get a 20% discount on video game pre-orders. For that Prime it, members. For Prime members, that, yeah. That was, it, that was a bonus yeah. of a Prime membership yes. was that. Yes. So it's not just on games that are releasing after August 28th. It's just that you have up to August 28th to do it. So this is where the public service announcement comes in. Yeah. Go pre-order you, your shit. Yes. If you know you're going to – like I, I am not an advocate of pre-orders for like the bonuses or whatever else, but I have no problem pre-ordering a game I know I want to buy. One, because sure, if I can get an extra skin or an extra gun, okay. But it's more so I can save like $13 by doing it on Amazon. If I know I'm going to buy a game, why wouldn't I pre-order it? So if you know you're going to buy a game, go ahead and pre-order it. And you have Amazon Prime, obviously. Go ahead and pre-order it. You'll get the discount still. I had pre-ordered Fallout 76 and I still get the discount. So do that. So currently I have Fallout 76 pre-ordered. I went ahead and pre-ordered Resident Evil 2. The okay. remake, yeah. um, Kingdom Hearts 3, the Deluxe Edition, and the Spyro Reignited Trilogy. Because yeah. most of the other games that are coming out, um, I went ahead, I have them listed. Like, Life is Strange 2, I want to get on PC. Battlefield 5, if I get it, it would either be for Christmas or on PC. Red Dead 2 is not available for pre-order, but I might right. still go ahead and do that on PC. Um, 
Call of Cthulhu would be PC. Overkill's The Walking Dead, Christmas or PC. Um, Twin Mirror, I don't know about that one. Anthem, I don't know about that one yet either. Um, you got to get Anthem. Da- That's going to be our replacement for Destiny. Or no, it, it, it was Anthem. Anthem wasn't one of the ones that available for pre-order. Oh, okay. Um, neither was Days Gone. Metro Exodus will be PC. Division 2, I'm kind of on the fence about PC or PS4. Um, Sinking City You got to get it on PC. PS4. What? If, you, if you're going to get the Division 2 on PC, then I'm not going to buy it. Well, yeah, I just don't know yet. Because it depends on like if Cody's going to get it or if you'll get it. We haven't really had that conversation yet. Yeah. Um, and then Rage 2 will be PC. So, like, okay. a lot of these I didn't want to go ahead and pre-order because I don't... Like, they're ones that I wouldn't just put the money out there because I don't know what we're going to have after the wedding and all that stuff. Like, what kind of position right. we'll be in. And then also, like, I want to get on PC. It's also worth mentioning, there's a positive and a negative of this. When you pre-order on Amazon, you don't get charged until the game ships. Right. So, if you pre-order it now, there's no negative to it. Although, it's uh, the other side of that is you need to keep track of when those games are coming out so exactly. that you know when you're going to get hit with your money. Yeah, so, like, I, I have I pre- comics pre-ordered, too. Yeah, exactly. So I pre-ordered Fallout 76 and uh, the Spyro Trilogy a while ago, but I'm going to go ahead and, like, I'm going to do Rage 2, Kingdom Hearts 3, a um, couple other games, uh, Smash, I'm going to go ahead and do. So I'm going to go ahead and pre-order fucking everything. I already had that conversation with Kelly, and I was like, hey, I'm... I'm only going to pre-order games that I know I'm going to buy day one. Because if I, if I know I might wait, then it's not worth spending extra money. But if I right. know I'm going to buy it day one, there's no negative to doing this. So go ahead and do it if that's what you want to do. Although it is worth mentioning, it's not like they're totally getting rid of any pre-order bonus, I guess. After August 28th, you'll get a $10 store credit. For your pre-orders. Yeah, and I think that store credit can only be used on items sold by Amazon. I think you are correct. And it can take up to 35 days of when you pre-order to get that credit. And then you only have that credit for 60 days. So if you're going to do that, you need to know that you need to use it. And it might take a while to get it as well. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, of course I'm going to use $10 on Amazon within 60 days. Sure. But that might not be true for everybody. Sure. Yeah, and I'm, I wonder how that would work because I still use Mom's Amazon Prime, so I don't know if it gets attributed to her account, and then I need to make sure I tell her not to use it or what. But right, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I mean, it sucks. It sucks that they're doing this. They're one of the biggest companies in the entire fucking world, and they're doing this. It seems kind of shitty to take away a major benefit for Prime members like this. It is what it is. Just yeah, I think take there advantage must be more of it while of the narrative can. than that. Probably, probably. Um, I would not be surprised if it was publishers like Sony and like 2K who are saying we don't want to participate in this because we want to keep all the money for ourselves. We would rather sell things on our own store than have people buy it via your store, which you can't blame them for that. Yeah, and so by Amazon giving you a credit, the publishers aren't losing out on the money. It's Amazon giving you the money. Yeah. So it is what it is. Um, Other kind of big news Patrick Soderlund, who was the chief design officer at EA, has left the company. He has been with EA for a long fucking time, since 2006. So he used to be the CEO of DICE. And then when DICE was acquired by EA, he eventually has moved up to being the chief design officer at EA. He just got the position in April, so he wasn't there in that role for that long. So I saw a lot of like discussion about this. And, and again... 
as always, I'll be posting show notes for this episode. So visit SheaHitsEverything.com. You can check out the show notes with links to all these news stories because there's more detail on this story than we can go into here. But kind of his recent stuff at EA. So when he initially, when DICE was bought by them, he was one of the big people a couple of years ago that promoted EA using DICE's Frostbite engine kind of across the board, which there were some hiccups definitely with that. But I think overall it's it's been a positive change. Yes, it's a great engine and it's a good thing that a lot of EA studios are using it now, like Bioware uses it. Yeah, well, and like it, it allows people from different studios that EA owns to kind of like cross-pollinate and work on each other's projects and support sure. other projects because totally. if they if they're all working from the same base engine code then it's likely that they would each be able to you know help each other out more easily so makes sense however he was also kind of the figurehead behind the battlefront 2 microtransaction controversy and being like the guy that was pushing for that as well as being one of the focal point decision makers on the closing of visceral games so, so he's yes. the Antichrist. Right. So, like, the Frostbite engine, good move, good business move. We certainly can't say that the closing of Visceral Games was a bad business move because it sounds like from behind-the-scenes stuff that game wasn't coming together all that well. There's also the argument to be made that Dead Space 3 was a bad game not because of Visceral but because of external forces. Yes. And, the re- like, they didn't want to – we talked about this, but they didn't want to do Battlefront, Battlefield Hardline and they were forced to, which wasn't a good game. So it's like – where do you place the blame on that? So there's a lot of that we don't know about the closure of Visceral Games. It sucks that they were closed, end of the day. The Battlefront 2 thing, that can objectively be said was bad. Plenty of studios are trying to implement microtransactions. It makes sense why they're trying to implement microtransactions. They can have free DLC and keep all the player base together and make their money on other things that are more cosmetic is the ideal state of this. But... It didn't work for Battlefront 2 because of the backlash. So regardless of the meaning behind it, regardless of the sound financial reasoning behind it, it didn't work. It was a failure, and it's their fault that it was a failure. So hard to say, like, is this good or bad for EA that he has gone? We don't know the other factors that, that were involved in all these decisions, the other people that were involved in all these decisions that could also be evil, antichrist people. Yeah. but. Bad people can still do good things. Sure. And good people can do bad things. Uh, right. So impossible to know like if he really deserves the blame that's being placed at his feet. Yeah. But given that he has had the blame placed at his feet, I get why he is quote-unquote resigning yeah. from this role. So, yeah. Uh, we got a new trailer for Life is Strange Season 2. And kind of has said up front, this is not about Max and Chloe. I'm still not totally sure how I feel about that because I love those characters. But this focuses on two brothers, uh, Sean, who is 16, and Daniel, who is 9. They are running away from Seattle. And it seems like it is happening. Like, part of why they were running away was because of the shit that went down with Max at the end of Season 1. But also, you get little flashbacks in the trailer of, like, they're running from the cops because something bad happened where a police officer died. Uh, Don't Not has already said there will be a new power. It won't be the same power, but it'll be a different power that we'll be using. So presumably that's associated with why they're running from the cops. Yeah, um, so in the trailer you see, like, you know, because like, they they realized that, uh, well, they realized they released that teaser, that kind of live action thing of the cop car getting thrown. Do you remember I that? I did not see that, no. Okay. Uh, well, this was, I, this was a while ago. And so in this trailer there's actually a reference to that. 
um, right. towards the end where the cop car gets thrown and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, what have I done? Kind of thing, supposedly. Um, I think there's maybe some misinformation in there. Um, totally. Kind of on purpose. But uh, it. the more I think about it, it kind of it feels like they're building a universe of superheroes. Yes, I agree. Which and is that sounds interesting. fucking cool. Yeah, that sounds really cool to me. And we already know that the kid from... Um, Captain Spirit will be involved in some capacity or maybe just referenced in some capacity, but they said that like he will be in this game in some way, which is again, a cool way of tying stuff together. You have to imagine that even if Max and Chloe aren't in this at some point, there will be references to them. And like you're saying, they're building this universe. They have to tie it into it somehow. They're not going to make this totally separate. Even if it's like a news report about a horrible storm at whatever port city that was in. Right. Right. So I'm super pumped. Uh, first episode comes out September 27th. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to play it as it releases or if I'm going to wait till the whole thing is out and play it and be able to binge it all at once. I'm not sure. I'm going to wait until it comes out, and then we'll see how I feel if I want to dive into it right away or not. What about yeah. you? I just I don't want to get spoiled on anything, so I think I'd probably okay. rather play it as it comes out. Yeah, that's a fair point. And the game does do a really good job of cliffhangers. Yeah. And getting those cliffhangers would be probably more satisfying knowing that you have to wait. What about um, Before the Storm? Did you make a call on whether or not you're going to play that? I have it. Still don't know if I'm going to play it. Yeah. Obviously, it's not necessary to play before Season 2. It is just one of those, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, but it is one of those where, like, it gives so much more context for the Chloe character, and that Chloe and, rela- Ra- Chloe and Rachel relationship has so many awesome moments that if you're a fan, I think it's worth slogging through frankly yeah. and you'll love that tempest scene where yeah, they do yeah. the t- you'll love that scene it's awesome um how about you tell me about uh what's going on with supermassive yeah so um supermassive who were behind um the uh oh god what was it called until dawn what until dawn until dawn thank you um, and then they did a VR kind of on rail shooter version. Yeah, of that was Dawn really well. stupid and yeah. f- should not have been tied to that universe at all. But they have announced that they're going to be releasing um, essentially what's like a horror game anthology. So a bunch of not necessarily bite sized, but a, a bunch of smaller in scope kind of movie esque um, experiences called the Dark Pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, they're partnering with Bandai Namco for it. Um, the first episode is going to be called Man of Madan or Madan. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, it's coming to PS4, Xbox One, and PC next year. Um, and the the trailer they have a trailer out right now, and it's all about like you know some twenties ish year old right. people, kind of like maybe post college, um, out on a boat, uh, like diving and hunting for like cursed objects underwater like there's right. this legend of this place they found it uh, and they're kind of exploring the underwater ruins um and then there's some also like some different locales and stuff that are shown off in the trailer that aren't necessarily um water related so maybe this whatever it is they find follows them somehow um and their plan is currently to release a couple stories a year with uh different horror genre focuses so maybe like mm-hmm. one would be more of like a psychological thriller um similar to how until dawn was and like maybe just kind of pull out some of that supernatural stuff that was in there one might be more supernatural one might be sci-fi one might be like a monster 
like horror right, kind of thing. Right. So they're, they're that's one of the, planning that's on one playing of the around with that, different horror genres, which I, I'm excited I, for. Yeah, because I liked Until Dawn. Yeah. I thought it, it's it's a formula that they could iterate on, and they clearly are going to. Um, and I I think what they did was technically impressive, mm-hmm. and that's part of what I enjoyed about it, and part of what I'm looking forward to for this as well. It's kind of the like getting those performances captured and then digitizing them, I think is an interesting, an interesting way of going about it. And it's essentially just like, it's an interactive horror experience. Right. Um, which I like, uh, you know, some people ever since the quote unquote walking simulators kind of first showed up in the gaming scene, people have been talking down about them, but I think there's like, there's such a wide range of, experiences that can be had in the gaming scene i there's absolutely room for this and a market for it because i mean people love horror games and like this is something that anybody can play because it is it's pretty simple yeah in terms of the game part of it it's simplified Mm -hmm. so like this is something that really anybody could can experience so i'm looking forward to it i uh i actually should tell kelly about this because she'll be really pumped because we played through until dawn together i guess i played it and she watched and she fucking loved it because she's a big horror movie person i hate horror movies yeah and uh but there's something about until dawn that like it it was just so well done and i really liked how it played in all different kinds of genres like it had the monster it had the sci-fi it had the slasher it had the the in the ghosts and like it was all different sorts of horror genres together so the fact that they're going in and kind of picking individual ones to focus on is a really neat idea i love that they're going to be like little standalone sort of vignettes presumably much shorter than something like until dawn yeah i also like because then it's less of a commitment to being terrified right. for me <laughs> to play so yeah I'm, I'm super pumped this is really cool yeah the and other with that is with that is the assumption that you know the pricing model will be scaled down yeah totally. to fit these experiences totally. I also think it's interesting that they're partnering with Bandai Namco to publish this because obviously it will not be PlayStation 4 exclusive, which Until Dawn was. So that I think is pretty interesting, whether or not that was their decision to do that or if Sony wasn't interested, which I find hard to believe because Until Dawn sold really, really well with almost no marketing from Sony PS. Like they didn't market that game at all and it was a really big uh, surprise. And even they, they released it. When did they release it? It was at a time where they should not have done. I think it was like in the summer, like early summer or something, which is like not horror vibe time. So, yeah. yeah I, just, I, think, I think there just weren't a lot of releases at that time. And so I think that helped it too. Sure, yes. But I think typically it's more, aren't summer releases. It, it was more about like they didn't market it very well and they released it at a time that didn't make sense for a scary game. It yeah. just seemed like they they were they had given up on it before it came out and then it surprised them. So maybe that's why Supermassive didn't want to go back to Sony is because Sony wasn't a very good partner. Right. Um, okay, and, you so... Know, it, it makes sense for them because, I mean, you have to imagine that kind of the production budget on something like this, even if it's bite-sized, is still pretty hefty. Yeah. Um, but since they're all structurally going to be similar, if they're able to make a lot of them, then it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So as long as they all perform pretty well, which releasing it multi-platform is the best way to do that, mm-hmm. as long as they all perform pretty well, that should be able to propel them successfully through several different iterations of it, hopefully. Totally. totally. Um, some bad news. We were talking about the Spyro, Spyro Reignited trilogy. So that's been delayed. It was supposed to come out in September, and it's now coming out November 13th. So it was delayed like almost two months. Um 
I have mixed feelings because when I looked at the September release, Spider-Man comes out in the 7th. Uh, what is it? Rise of the Tomb Raider comes out. I have my list here. Rise of the Tomb Raider comes, sorry, Shadow of the Tomb Raider comes out on the 14th. And then I think Spiral was coming out on the 21st. Yeah. And then the first episode of Life is Strange comes out on the 27th. So that's four four big games I'm looking forward to four Each weeks week. in a row. So that was way too much to possibly take on anyway. So from that perspective, I'm like, okay, fine. When I look at November, obviously we have Fallout 76 coming out right at the same time as Spyro. But for me, that's kind of it. Because like Pokemon Let's Go comes out. I'm probably not going to get that. Darksiders 3 comes out. I'm probably not going to get that. Overkills The Walking Dead, probably not going to get that. I think it looks kind of bad. I hope it's good because I know you're looking forward to it, Kyle. Yeah. So, like, for me, there's not a ton of stuff in November, which is surprising. So, timing-wise, I think it's okay. But from the, I was looking forward to playing this. It was supposed to come out in less than a month when they delayed it. Kind of seems shitty. I'm reminded of the Miyamoto quote, which was, A delayed game is eventually good. A bad game is bad forever. Which... I mean, I don't totally agree with him because a game isn't always going to be good when you delay it. But the kind of the message is, if you rush out a bad game, it's going to be bad. But if you delay a game, it has the potential to be better. And that, I totally agree with that mentality. So if this leads to the game being better, which was the whole reasoning Toys R Bob said, like, hey, we just need some time to polish, then it's fine. If the game is better by delaying it two months, it's fine. My frustration is more like, why would you wait until the last second to delay it? Like, they knew it wasn't going to be ready in time. At this point, they should have been submitted for cert already and getting ready to print copies, which yeah. they clearly weren't. So it's kind of like, they. I, I feel like if they were going to delay it, they should have delayed it a little earlier. Because they had to have known a little earlier that it wasn't going to make the deadline. Right. So that that's kind of my only frustration about it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, like, it, it's especially disappointing. I mean, as long as it's in time for the holidays, because this is something I want to play over break for sure okay um and they because like they keep releasing like little snippets of cutscenes and stuff on social media right and it just looks looks so good yeah it looks so good totally Uh, it's one of those where and we'll talk about this a little later because i kind of wanted to dive into the video games this year and how there are too many of them for me to play but this was one of those where when i look at my priority list for games to finish in 2018 this wasn't on there because it's a remaster. It's three older games. So the fact that they're waiting now, you know, I'm going to get it when it comes out in November. But if I don't have time, if I'm rushing to finish some other stuff, I'll wait and play this next year. Like, I'm not on a time crunch to sure. replay Spyro games. So from that perspective, too, it's it's not that not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, okay, so we got a new trailer for Devil May Cry, which is kind of important for two reasons. One, we got a release date. So it's coming out on March 8th of 2019 and the second was just because we got some actual i guess i'd put gameplay in quotations because it's not like with ui actual gameplay but it's more than we saw at e3 so i kind of had a positive reaction to this i'm not like the biggest devil may cry person i kind of appreciate it more than i like it but i like the attitude of the game because it's so fucking dumb and it doesn't take itself seriously that I liked this trailer. I know you didn't really have that reaction. Yeah, I don't know. For some like Devil May Cry has never resonated with me for whatever reason. I think it. Well, I don't know. I I have a theory, and I think that that theory is that it's the combo based um, combat. Yeah, is, is I suck what at I that don't stuff. like. Yeah, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. At those. Like, I yeah. will never remember a combo. I will never put in the work to remember a combo. Mm-hmm. Um, and. 
that's another reason why I don't like fighting games because a lot right. of those are combo based. Right. Um, and so this just feels like a 3D one of those, like a, a fighting game romp with a lot of attitude. Sure. And like, yeah, like the attitude isn't what puts me off. I okay. should be clear about that. Uh, it's what I know the gameplay is going to be like is what I'm not super interested in. Yeah, and, and like to be completely fair, I doubt I will play this because, like you said, I'm just not good at that style of combat. I don't enjoy it that much, but I like the attitude because I look at something like Bayonetta as well. I love how over the top those games are, and that makes me want to play it, play them. I probably won't ever play Bayonetta. I probably won't ever play Devil May Cry because of the combat style, but I want to like them. Yeah. I did play DMC when that came out, the Ninja Theory one, and I really like. I never finished it. But I did really like that. I thought the combat was a little more, not like easy, because that's kind of a pejorative, but like it was a little bit easier for me to understand what I was doing. It, it didn't feel as combo, like you had to execute combos perfectly. It was more about like, you can switch between weapons and do a bunch of crazy tricks more of a and playground. everything's fine. Yeah, yeah, more of a playground. So we'll, we'll see how this one comes together. I, I, It's so fucking stupid. It's like Dark Souls, but fun and dumb. And I kind of like that. It's like if Dark Souls was made by Insomniac. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So this I look at as being very good news. And I think a lot of other people look at it this way, too. So there will be no Assassin's Creed game that releases in 2019. Ubisoft has come out and and said that. Instead of putting out a new game, they're going to be focused on DLC for Odyssey. The only reason that Odyssey is coming out a year after origins is that two different teams were focused on those games at the same time obviously with some crossover but it wasn't like you release origins and then you start working on odyssey to put that out which is how the model used to be obviously there was a lot of pre-production too but they kind of went from one game to the next and this was very much like two teams at the same time i'm just very glad about this because I am looking forward to Odyssey, but I already know that after finishing Odyssey, I'm going to be burnt out of Assassin's Creed again. I'm going to want a break. And so them saying up front, you won't have another big game, even a spinoff game in 2019, guarantees me that I will have that break. So this to me is super smart of them, one, to actually do that, and two, to come out and specifically say that, because I'm sure there are a lot of people like me that are already concerned about that Assassin's Creed fatigue picking back up. Right, yeah. I mean, like, I didn't even get that far into Origins, and I'm already, like, I need five years before I play an Assassin's Creed game yeah, again. Yeah, sure. Well, and it, you hadn't even played an Assassin's Creed before that one and since, like, Black Flag, right? Yeah, it was. I, I played Black Flag, um, and then I didn't play one until Origins. That's how it was for me, too, and I think that's why I liked Origins more, is because I didn't play Unity, I didn't play Syndicate, that I had that much larger break, which obviously it wasn't enough of a break for you, but for me it was that was like the sweet spot. And even with Odyssey, like I'm I'm ready, I'm okay to do more of it because I liked so much of Origins. But unless they were going to do a huge vast departure yet again, I wasn't going to want to play another one after this. So I'm glad I won't feel obligated to. It does make me curious though. What are they going to put out? What's going to be their big fall game next year? Right. Watch Dogs Three. Would be the my biggest guess. Yeah, yeah. In that in that style of game, that kind of open world RPG light sort of thing, that would make sense to me. Uh, obviously, they haven't announced a Watch Dogs three. We know they're working on it because Watch Dogs two did pretty well. But uh, it very well could be a game where like they announce it at E three that's coming out that year. That could be a cool move. 
Um, okay. Uh, so, developer of Everybody's Gone to the Rapture and Dear Esther has been acquired by Sumo, Sumo Digital, who has done the Sonic Team Racing games as well as making Little Big Planet 3. So, this is important because. Um, the Chinese Room. I was trying to think of the name of this developer. The yes. Chinese Room are the folks that did Everybody's Gone to the Rapture and DRS there. So they had major layoffs last year, and it seemed like the studio was like on its way to being shut down because they hadn't really announced a new project. They're having problems with publishers. So the fact that Sumo Digital has acquired them has saved the studio, essentially. I'm not like I didn't really like Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. I know you, Kyle, got more out of it than I did. It just yeah. kind of it fell a bit flat to me. I was super hyped for it, and it just the ending of it kind of was a wet fart. It was kind of like the ending of Annihilation, where like there was so much cool potential there, and it just felt like eh, kind of end. Sure. I haven't played Dear Esther. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Oh, uh, Dear it's not Esther's like, fabulous. Yeah, because it's more narrative kind of walking simulator. Right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you're just walking through the areas. You're not right. really having to do anything. Right. Um, it's just about like the the vo work tied to the music and the environments in which it's being told like all of that stuff is unbelievably effective and that's what i thought was best about everybody's gone to the rapture obviously like all the mechanical stuff of having to follow the thing around like that never worked for me right yes um so but narratively i think they are very good at what they do Mm -hmm. so the concern was hey the team that the, the studio that makes Sonic Team Racing and made Little Big Planet 3 are acquiring the studio that is known for their kind of like walking simulator, very narratively driven, deep drama like video games. What? But they have come out and said, hey, the Chinese room or that team is going to be working on a new project just under Sumo Digital. So it's not like they're just being absorbed and, oh, you're all developing the next Sonic Racing game now. Right. They are still going to do their kind of thing. So that to me is a, is is good. I, I think there's a lot of potential in their games. It's just that everybody's gone to the rapture underwhelmed me in its ending. Was kind of my my thing. Yeah. Whatever happened to that game? Um, that was um, being developed by the Vanishing of Ethan Carter people. The one with the shotgun trailer. Yeah, we just haven't heard anything about it. What was that called again? Do you remember? I don't. I wrote about it in my top 10 missing games for me three and now i okay. can't remember the name of it uh witch fire which which fire i think that sounds is what right it is. i that think that's right. what it was called i knew it was something with a w yeah yeah um yes that game looks rad as hell i'm bummed we haven't seen more but i get i would assume it's just because it's really early right um okay so more new studios and new faces at studios so crystal dynamics is opening a brand new satellite studio located in washington uh they I don't think are like really going to help that much with shadow of the tomb Raider. Cause it's so close, but um, they are going to be working on their Avengers project as well as some other unannounced projects at crystal dynamics. So this is more of a support studio than it is like a single game studio. They could potentially turn into that because they have brought on the combat designer for God of war and the co-founder of the original dead space game. So, some pretty Go on. Yeah, some pretty good like <laughs> leadership 
of some pretty good fucking games they have brought on into leadership roles at the new, new studio. So could be very cool. Who I don't know if they're like going to take the, I wouldn't think they're going to take the lead on Avengers. Cause like, I, I'm pretty sure that core crystal dynamics is mostly focused on Avengers because they were a support studio on Shadow of the Tomb Raider that was primarily developed by a different studio whose name I cannot remember now. But we'll see how this shakes out. It's more just like good for Crystal Dynamics that they're in a position where they can open a new studio. They have enough projects, enough things in the works. And yeah. also smart of them to bring on so many, so much talent to that studio. Yeah, also, Similarly, that, yes. they, was that um, a new trailer that was in that article for the Avengers game? No. Or was that an old trailer? Yeah, it was the old little teaser with the Thor hammer and the Infinity Gauntlet and stuff. Okay, yeah. okay. That was the one that they announced at PSX, I think it was, gotcha. last year. Um, speaking of bringing on new talent, the new Microsoft studio, the initiative that was announced at E3... They have hired, like, a bunch of people. So they're just, like, really in the infancy of it. I think they have, like, at least when I read this, they had, like, six employees. So it's, uh, they have brought on the lead producer of God of War. And he was also the lead producer on Rise of the Tomb Raider. They have uh, the writer of Red Dead Redemption and Middle Earth Shadow of War. They brought on the senior director of portfolio planning from Microsoft, who was there for 16 years. And the co-director of the 2013 Tomb Raider reboot and Rise of the Tomb Raider. So again, a lot of a lot of people with leadership uh, experience on very good games at very big popular studios. So that's a really good start, I would say, to the, what the initiative, whatever it is, they're going to be working on, which will be a new project. Uh, yeah, like this is just like the Microsoft think tank. Totally. Like developer think tank where they're totally. like going to generate some crazy new IPs, which so is exciting. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. I'm I'm I can't wait to see what they're going to put together. It is tough because it's so early. This is not a game we will hear anything about for at least two years, probably. So, you know, take the hype with some grain of salt or whatever you want to say. But uh, it's certainly cool to see that they're bringing out so much talent in support of this new studio, which Microsoft desperately needed a new studio to work on new IP. Um, okay, so the next one is a bit of a wild ride here. So THQ Nordic, the makers of Darksiders. I don't even know where to fucking start with this shit. So I guess, uh, and broad strokes, THQ Nordic has purchased the rights to the Time Splitters series and the Second Sight franchise. So... This obviously gives them the potential to do some HD remasters, particularly of, of Time Splitters, because that was really those were really popular games. So to give the arc of how this goes down, Time Splitters and Second Sight were originally developed by the studio Free Radical, who was working on Battlefront Three when it was canceled. All that like old footage you've seen of the original Battlefront Three that was Free Radical working on that game, and then it got canned, and then they went and made Haze. And that game was not good. And so the studio was essentially shut down. Uh, Free Radical also uh, was made up of former developers of GoldenEye and uh, Perfect Dark. So a lot of talent at that studio. And they were effectively shut down after Haze. That studio was picked up by Crytek, makers of Crisis. 
and renamed Crytek UK. So they were a different studio under the Crytek banner. Uh, they also purchased the Homefront license after the Homefront game, after the whole THQ kind of liquidation of assets, right. they bought the Homefront license. So Crytek was intending Crytek UK to make a new Homefront game. Then Crytek had problems financially, so they sold Crytek UK, formerly Free Radical, and they sold the Homefront license. And the work done by home on Homefront Two, to Deep Silver, or I guess I should say the company that owns Deep Silver. Deep Silver did like Dead Island, whatever. So uh, that happened in 2014. So then Deep Silver put out Homefront Two: The Revolution. Unfortunately, made, yes, made by formerly Free Radical, formerly Crytek UK, now called Deep Silver Dambuster. So same studio now on its third name, made Homefront: The Revolution. And then Deep Silver's parent company, which is Coke Media, we, we talked about this several podcasts ago, but Coke Media was then purchased by THQ Nordic. Right. <laughs> so, so THQ Nordic now owns Coke Media, which owns Deep Silver, which owns Deep Silver Dambuster, which used to be Crytek UK, UK, which formerly. used to be Free Radical, which was owned by THQ. Right. So they now own the licenses that they used to own and the studio that they used to own. So right. it's just a hilarious like arc to all of this. But Ridiculous. at the end of the day... This gives THQ Nordic, because they've gone out of their way to, like, reacquire all their old IP back when THQ first busted. Because THQ Nordic used to be, shit, I don't remember the name of the studio. But, because THQ was a publisher, right? The studio that was owned by THQ that made the Darksiders games. So, they were a developer, not a publisher. Wasn't they, it just called Nordic Games? Yes, it was. Thank you. It was Nordic Games. So they made the first two Darksiders games. They have now expanded to become THQ Nordic and are acting also as a publisher. And they obviously reacquired the Darksiders rights so that they could make Darksiders 3. And they're going out and acquiring a lot of the old IP, much like Time Splitters and Second Sight. So I, I think the most logical thing of this, I think the Second Sight, because that wasn't that popular of a game back in the day. I think the bigger thing is like they want to have their old stuff so they can do with it what they want. But I think the immediate action is to make some kind of remake or remaster or HD version of the Time Splitters games. I think that's the most obvious thing. Yeah, I saw some like one of the former Time Splitters devs. They had posted something on social media semi recently, something to the effect of like, "Hey, Time Splitters was the original Overwatch," or something. Right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's there's a huge fan base for Time Splitters. It makes sense to do an each HD remaster of those games and then use that as a springboard to make a new Time Splitters game if it is successful. That seems like the obvious business move to make there. So that's just it's just a fun kind of full circle story. Yeah. And at the end of the day, good thing that all these people still have jobs that right. many years later after having so many games canceled and frankly making some bad games. I mean, Homefront, Haze are not good games. So glad that those people still have jobs. Okay. How about you take uh, the next couple here? Because uh, after telling that <laughs> wild yarn, I need to need to drink some water. Sure. Um, so the Dark Souls trilogy is coming to PS4 and Xbox One. Um, this will collect all three uh, definitive editions with all of the DLC and comes out in a steelbook 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be 80 bucks, and it's actually coming out October 19th, which is not too far away. Yeah. Um, still unknown is when the Switch version of Dark Souls will be coming. <laughs> right. Um, supposed to be early this summer, and we yeah. still don't know what's going on. I think we're but past making early this. summer. Right. Yeah. They're it, making it, this. this. This is very cool for people that are big Dark Souls fans. It seems like a bit of a weird thing to do just because they put out recently that remastered Dark Souls 1 and 2. Yeah. And Dark Souls 3 didn't come out that long ago. So, like, I get it. It's more of, like, a collection. But it's not like they did a bunch of work on these games again to put them out. It's just, like, a full thing. And so, yeah, it has all the DLC. It's three games. But still, 80 bucks maybe seems a bit steep to me for the fact that the none of it's new. And they haven't right. done any extra work to them from what they did last year. Yeah, especially when you have like an, like the Spyro trilogy's forty dollars for three games. Right. right. Here's another three games, and like they're doing a full rework on those. Right. Here's another three games where they didn't do that, and it's eighty bucks. So you know, and obviously, whatever. Dark Souls are much bigger games. Yeah. But still. Yeah. yeah. Very uh, the different. Point, the but point's true. Yeah. If you hold up one and go, "Hey, one's half the price," then you're like, "It's eh, a disconnect." Yeah. Um. Next up, Dishonored. Uh, is now on hiatus officially mm-hmm. so um dishonored 2 did not sell as well as they were hoping it would um, right. or and even the death as of the well outsider. as the first game yeah, yeah the death of the outsider dlc especially did yeah. not sell well um i mean because i didn't i mean i got dishonored 2 and by the time i was done with it i was like i do not want to play another one of these games right um so i was so not on board for the death of the outsider mm. dlc and you um, liked the second one, right? Because I know you really liked the first game. It had cool environments, but it like just traversing the world was a chore. Right. Um, I, I could not get into the first game. I, I really wanted to like it. And I'd be curious to give it another shot now that the whole open world game, because that was never really my thing several years ago. I wanted more of a narrative structure. And the original Dishonored did not connect with me. But maybe now that I've played a lot more of those style of games and i like that style of game more i wonder if i would get more out of it it's just i don't know i I had no interest in the second game obviously yeah i liked the first one better than the second one yeah um and i I had gone back to play the definitive edition of the first one before i played two which maybe contributed to some fatigue but um i thought the first one was better than the second one yeah um so yeah it's on hiatus um, not super surprising given no. the sales of it. And I mean, it sounds like, I mean, two, two games and a big DLC, that's good for a franchise to start. Uh, there are, you know, arcane is a two game studio. They obviously had prey as well that they were working on, which did pretty well critically and commercially. So yeah. obviously we're going to see more prey beyond just the DLC that they're doing, but I am excited about them doing something different. This the, the the framing of the story was kind of like framed as a bummer, like, hey, we're putting that on ice for a bit. But I think it's, I mean, it's just like what most studios do. They they want to try something new and do something different. They have yeah. said that kind of that open world feel, that immersive sim is how they described it, will continue to be in the core DNA of their games. So people that like that style of game, they're going to get more. It's just not going to be Dishonored. Yeah, and I mean, I like they have really great ideas. So sure, yeah. I, I would be. I, I'm excited to see what what is next for them. Um, what's next for us is something that I'm not particularly excited about. <laughs> um, Fox Studio has acquired the rights to Vampire, or I guess it's really just Vampire, um, for a television series. Right. 
Um, so this is Fox 21 Studios. Um, it's uh, not... Um, so... And I made this note in here because I just wanted to clarify. So yeah. when it, when it says, "Hey, Fox Studios has acquired Vam- Vampire," I always want to say Vampire as well. But yeah. they have acquired Vampire. Everybody goes, "Oh, okay, we're going to see a new Vampire show on Fox," which is not necessarily the case right. because the way the studios structure works, which I learned this through our Dreamwriters pitching, is that usually a studio owned by the network, the network gets first dibs on pitches. So they don't dictate to a studio what they have to work on, but this, they get to say yes or no first. And if they say no, that studio can then pitch to any network. So like you could see a Fox Studios show on CBS. That happens all the time. So some notable shows that Fox 21 Studios has worked on or is working on. So that the new show Seven Seconds, which is on Netflix, is theirs. The Chai, which I had never heard of, but I assume it's a show about Chicago. It's on Showtime. So, again, not outside of the Fox family. And then they do Pose, The Comedians, and they did The Bastard Executioner, the Kurt Sutter show, the creator of Sons of Anarchy, which were all on FX, which is obviously a Fox network. but um, Or actually, no longer. It is now a Disney network, technically. But yeah. uh, So, wanted to clarify that Vampire is not necessarily going to be on Fox, but they will get first option on whatever it is that uh, Fox 21 puts together. It, this, I mean, having not played Vampire, I know you had a lot of negative things to say about its story and a lot of the mechanical things, but the world is cool. And if what they're looking to take is this world, this, like, sort of... I don't even know what quantity you would put on the time period, but, like, this... Late 1800s. Okay, so, so yeah, because I was going to say like post-Renaissance, but that's a little earlier than that. So, late 1800s, small town, village vampire and monster vibe could be kind of neat i think uh this show will probably have very little relation to the game in terms of the story or the characters because that's how that works so it's more just about like the concept of vampire they are interested in yeah and it's like uh, like the game vampire is a lot of Hey, there are these like subcategories of vampire and other monsters, and like sure. there's a hierarchy there, and like it, there's some like kind of political game, and there's kind of this shadowy vampire organization that like lords over the other things. So it could get very political, which is perfect for one of these period TV shows. They love <laughs> to get political. Yeah, that's true. So tell me about Twitch Plays Pokemon or Twitch Pokemon Marathon. Um, yeah, so. Um, like a couple, maybe a few years ago, uh, Twitch Plays Pokemon was like kind of a phenomenon. They allowed yes. the chat to actually play a Pokemon game, um, and a lot of really funny moments kind of arose from that. Well, not and they did it. Yeah, they did. Like, it. They I, I, I completed watched Pokemon. Bits and pieces of it. Yeah, they completed Pokemon, and they also after that has inspired a lot of Twitch Plays series. They did a Twitch Plays Dark Souls, and I think they beat Dark Souls via chat commands like the internet can be a beautiful place yeah um well twitch has recently announced that they're going to be marathoning all of pokemon um the animated series so there are 19 seasons of pokemon and 16 movies and 16 movies yeah that's ridiculous so, so the, the the only thing it won't include is the current sun and moon show that's like going on right excuse me right now but right. everything that like 
has been made will be part of this. And it, it shouldn't, because it's going to be chronological, it shouldn't be disappointing that it won't include Sun and Moon because time-wise, with all of the content, it's going it's going to start August 27th. So it, when you are listening to this, it will have already started. And it should run, time-wise, into 2019. <laughs> That's how long it's going to take. Which is insane! <laughs> That's how much Pokemon there is. Yeah. So, this is very cool. I will definitely be checking it out from time to time just to see. Yeah. So, it should be very fun. For sure. Um, okay. Not so fun news. <sighs> so, last episode, we talked about James Gunn being fired from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because of some 10-year-old t- tweet jokes that he made that some people didn't like. And it's crazy to me that that's what the story is. Yep. Some tweets he made 10 years ago that people didn't like got a director fired from one of the biggest film franchises. Okay. Anyway. So there have been a lot of rumors the past couple of weeks and the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy came out in support of James Gunn and just said, hey, not that we're supporting what he said or the tweets, but we support the man and we think he should be back. We want to work with him again, etc." So there were rumors that James Gunn had a meeting with some Disney execs, which did happen, but he did not get the job back. And it has since come out that that meeting was kind of like a courtesy meeting on Disney's part to kind of placate the people that are upset about this situation and that they never intended to bring him back. Like that which was is never fucking a horseshit. Yes. Which makes it worse. Yeah. Like that's worse than not meeting with him at all. Right. That's like wasting just, his, time. his time. Yeah. Yeah. So that it pisses me off. Now, and I think it was like just this morning or last night, I saw a news story on IGN that that movie has officially been put on hold, Volume 3 has, because they don't have a director. They obviously need to bring on a director first, who will then decide if they want to use James Gunn's script or if they want to completely rewrite it, which would obviously make the movie take a lot longer. So, bad news all around. It fucking sucks. But this is the world we live in now. So, everyone delete your Twitters and Facebook and... Make all your YouTube videos private. Don't ever say anything ever again, ever on the internet. Because if you do, you will be torched for it at some point. When you're fucking 65 years old, your grandkid will bring out an old tweet where you said that people that don't eat hamburgers should shut up and you'll go to jail. That's going to be the future. That sounds about right. (laughs) Okay, so changing gears because I don't want to go down that road yet again because it yep. just pisses me off. So we have talked about this DC Universe streaming service that DC has where they have a bunch of old comics, shows, and movies, and they're creating their own original content as well. One of those new shows is called Doom Patrol, and they have had a bunch of casting news come out about Doom Patrol uh, where... Um, Oh, I guess I didn't write those down because nobody was important enough. But um, they have announced that Brendan Fraser is going to be playing Robot Man, or he will at least be doing he'll be doing the voice of Robot Man because it's a Robot Man, and someone else will be doing like the motion capture stuff. But he'll be doing the voice voice for the character as well as playing the actual guy Cliff Steele in flashbacks. So cool for Brendan Fraser fans. Yeah. I more so saw this as a fun opportunity to talk about Doom Patrol because Doom Patrol is fucking weird as shit. Um, it it started 
as a reaction to X-Men. Or at least that's kind of like the main narrative of this. It debuted before X-Men, back in the 60s. And so there's a lot of like unsubstantiated evidence that maybe Doom Patrol was created before X-Men, and then Stan Lee stole that idea to create X-Men. But because X-Men's more popular, people tend to think like, oh, of course X-Men came first, and it did not. So the, the concept of Doom Patrol is it's a bunch of misfit people who have crazy powers that they got beyond... You know, it, it wasn't their choice to get these powers, and the powers have a lot of negative effects on their real lives, which sounds like X-Men. They're also led by Dr. Niles Calder, who is a very smart scientist in a wheelchair, which also sounds vaguely familiar. So, I don't get it. What is, what is... <laughs> so the main characters of the original Doom Patrol were Robot Man, um, who he was in a car accident. And he was going to die, so they transported his brain into a robo-body. This was the 60s. <laughs> so right. a lot of the superheroes were not particularly cool. <laughs> um, Who are you? <laughs> Robot man. <laughs> there is also Elastigirl, which does exactly what you think. She's El- basically woman, right? No, I, I'm pretty sure. Because Elastigirl is from Incredibles. You're right. It's Elastigirl. Thank you. Uh, and she is basically Mr. Fantastic. I mean, she she stretches. And then there is Negative Man, who was an Air Force pilot who is exposed to radiation, as they often are. And uh, he has to cover himself in these, like, bandages. So he kind of looks like the Invisible Man, if anyone has seen that movie. Where he's just, he looks like a mummy kind of thing. But he can also release a spirit version of himself out of his body for a short period of time that can fly and it can also make things explode. So that's negative man. And then there's crazy Jane (laughs) who has multiple personality disorder and those different personalities have different types of superpowers. So she's just kind of like a all over the place kind of superhero. Uh, So that's kind of like the core group of doom patrol. All those characters will be in the doom patrol show, but they're also adding cyborg, which we talked about last episode, which is fucking weird. Why would you add cyborg has been in different iterations of doom patrol. Grant Morrison had a doom patrol run for a while. Could try to reboot it and make it a little more relevant. You already have um, robot man. (laughs) Right? Exactly. (laughs) So I'm not sure how they're going to deal with robot man. Cause obviously in the sixties, he's very like a robot you would see in the sixties. Like, he's very, uh, like, copper-looking. He looks like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Like, it's that style. So I'm curious to see, like, how they're going to adjust that or if they will. Or yeah, if what they if will he just it. looks like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of hilarious. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I continue to be underwhelmed with the DC Universe kind of take on things. But it's certainly an interesting idea of what they're trying to do with their own streaming service for all DC content. The Titans show looks fucking terrible. We haven't seen anything from this, so hopefully this doesn't look fucking terrible. Yeah. Finally, last news story. HBO has officially ordered their Watchmen show to series. Which shouldn't be all that surprising, because it's the Watchmen, which is super popular. In my opinion, the most overrated comic of all time. So this will be showrun and executive produced by Damon Lindelof, who created and showran... The Lost, and The Leftovers. Which, if you have heard my feelings on Lost and The Leftovers, boy, he's really good at making an idea 
and boy, is he even better at making that idea fucking suck ass. So <laughs> I don't have a ton of confidence in this. I think the concept of Watchmen is awesome. The characters are very cool. I just think it's kind of an overrated comic. Hey, I feel like what? it was more. So is the concept of Lost. Well, yes, exactly. So is the concept of Leftovers. Exactly. Yes. Oh, no. The difference is he's not creating Watchmen. So I don't know if that will make it easier or harder for him. He has said, oh, I didn't pull the quote, but he has said that, uh, oh, no, I did. So here's his full quote. Uh, He's talking about how he's going to be changing some stuff about Watchmen. It's not just going to be a direct adaptation of the comic like how the movie mostly was, the Zack Snyder movie. So here's a quote. Because the bass lines in those familiar tracks are just too good and we'd be fools not to sample them. Those original 12 issues are our Old Testament. When the New Testament came along, it it did not erase what came before it. It all happened. Some of the characters will be unknown, new faces, new masks to cover them. We also intend to revisit the past century of costumed adventuring through a surprising yet familiar set of eyes. I don't know what most of that means, but kind of what my big takeaway is... There's going to be, like, new characters, and they're going to change things from the comic and that kind of thing. So, I'm guessing people are going to be real mad about this show. Just throwing that out there, as this is being, like, arguably the most beloved comic book graphic novel ever made. Yeah, let's just fuck with it. Things that people are going to be not super, not super pumped, and and not even not that it's going to be bad necessarily, but just the idea that they're going to be changing what people to consider people consider to be like a graphic novel bible, that they're going to be changing it. I think people are not going to be super pumped. It is worth mentioning that the cast is already really strong for this. I don't know what characters these people play because I don't know if they've announced it, but Jeremy Irons is in it. I mean, he's been around forever. He's fucking amazing. But he recently has been seen as Alfred in the Justice League movie. Regina King, who's an African-American actress. She was on... She's in that Seven Seconds show. She was on The Leftovers, actually. She was really good on The Leftovers. And she was on 24. And I hated her character on 24. I am wrong. She was not on 24. That's a different actor. Forget that. But she was really good on The Leftovers. Tim Blake Nelson from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And he played Samuel Stearns in The Incredible Hulk. He is awesome. Uh, Don Johnson, who's a really old actor. He was on Miami Vice show. He was also, he played a smaller role in Django Unchained. Um, I'm going to butcher this dude's name. I believe it is Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who uh, he plays Black Manta in the upcoming Aquaman movie. He was also in The Get Down, the Netflix show. For anybody that watched it, he played Cadillac in that show. He's a really good actor. Um, Tom Mison, I think that's how you say his name. He played Ikamod in the Sleepy Hollow show. Did you watch Sleepy Hollow? This seems like a show you would like. Nah, I just watched the movie forever ago. Well, yeah, it's not the same at all. Um, and then Adelaide Clemens, who was in The Great Gatsby and The Rectify show. Um, so, a really strong cast. I don't know what characters these guys are playing because they could be new characters or repeat characters. But, uh... This will be a really interesting one to keep our eyes on, how it comes together, kind of first trailers and stuff to see if it looks like traditional Damon Lindelof where it's all flash and no substance. Uh, And it's supposed to premiere in 2019, so not that far off. So that's all of our news. Lies. There's one more. Okay, hit me. forgot. What did I forget? Um, So it's a rumor. I don't think it's been officially announced yet, but I think it's a rumor that Microsoft is planning to unveil something called Xbox All Access, 
Um, oh that yes, okay. Is a bundle of yes. an Xbox One console, Xbox Live, and the Xbox Game Pass, all for a monthly fee. So there's no upfront um, uh, hardware fee. So you don't just like, go buy the Xbox and then go to these different subscription services. Um, and reportedly, it's supposed to be um, it's going to be like an Xbox One X with Live Gold and Game Pass for thirty five dollars a month over two years. Um, and hmm. then I think that rate decreases because you have then paid off the Xbox. Um, okay. So, interesting pricing model. It should be very interesting because they did something similar with the 360, where yeah. you could, like where you basically were like renting a system, and you were the most of the cost was the the monthly Xbox Live, and that did not catch on at all. Right. And it was supposed to be more of a low cost entry because I had like I think it had no hard drive even I don't think a hard drive yeah it was like system. a bad version of that console right. this this is especially interesting because it comes with Game Pass mm-hmm. so like you get everything you need to play all of the first party Microsoft stuff um, that you would want to be playing on an Xbox for thirty five dollars a month yeah it certainly could be very cool if there are enough good games that people yeah. would want to play. Like, I don't see a lot of people, like, for me, as this would be my second, or technically my third console, but I think if you think of, like, Sony and Microsoft, this would be my second console. So that 35 bucks a month is more than I would want because I'm probably only going to play a game every three months. Right. Because I'm only going to play the big Xbox exclusives. So that's just not worth it for me. But for people who have yet to take a step into this current generation or that own a Switch... This could be a very cool option because there are a lot more games that you could play via the Xbox Game Pass. Right, for sure. Um, and I th- it feels like a pretty aggressive pricing model, too. $35 yeah. for all of that yeah. is not bad. Well, isn't how much is Xbox Game Pass by itself? That's a good question. I thought it was, only, I thought it was really cheap, but I might be wrong. Um, Game Pass. But yeah, it's certainly a cool idea. If true, because it, it is a rumor at this point. Um, I wonder when they would announce that type of thing. Because they don't do like a big year-end event like Sony does. Right. Um, oh, I wish it would just tell me how much it was. Well, presumably it's less than $35 traditionally if you own an Xbox. I want to say it was like 10 bucks a month. But that that might be way too. It might be because Xbox Live Gold, if you buy a year, is sixty dollars. So that's five dollars right. a month. Mm-hmm. Um, man, this website is slow as balls. Xbox.com, get your shit together. Um, it is literally just not telling me how much it is. Well, that's okay. It's not like people don't have Google. Yeah. <laughs> well, or Google's not working for you. But, right. I mean, if it's ten dollars a month. Those two things together are 15 so then you're paying $20 a month for the hardware. Right. Yeah, we'll over, see. Over two years, which is, what, two four, $480 for an Xbox One X. That's barely more. I think Xbox One X is $400. Uh, I believe it is now 350 Okay. Um, Xbox Game Pass, one month. Yeah, it's $10. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, who knows? Obviously, this will be a lot easier to talk about when and if it, it is an official thing because some of the pricing might be different or what's right. included, the small print, that kind of thing. So, um, if, if it happens, we can definitely um, dive a little more deeper into it. But certainly an interesting idea. 
and an expansion on what they did last generation that wasn't really a success. So before moving into hate a week, hate of the week, I wanted to quickly complain about something. So it's like a double hate of the week almost. So I just have too many fucking games to play. Like I look at the games that are yet to come out this year and the games that already have come out this year and the games that have already come out this year that I already own and have not played. And it's just going to be impossible for me to fucking finish everything. Like my goal was to have my game of the year post for like end of January. And that's always my goal. And it never happens. I think last year it was like end of February and the year before that was March. And the year before that was like May. So I typically am late on my game of the year, but it's because I want to play as many things as possible. So I look at like, so I want to play red dead two, right? But I haven't played red dead one. That's a long game. Red Dead 2 comes out in a month and a half. Or two months. I'm not going to be able to play a first Red Dead. Because Spider-Man comes out in between then. Shadow of the Tomb Raider comes out between then. Destiny 2 Forsaken comes out in two weeks. Like, when am I supposed to play the first Red Dead? To play the second Red Dead. And then I have, like, games that I already own. Or older, like, remastered games that I want to play. Like Shadow of the Colossus HD. Uh, I really want to check out the No Man's Sky Next stuff. Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze and Captain Toad, Treasure Tracker, the Switch remasters, I really want to play. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to play those with all these other things. And then you have big AAA games that I'm on the fence about, and there's no way I'm going to play those either. Like, Darksiders 3. There's no way I'm going to play Darksiders 3 because I have all these other big games that I know I'm going to play. And, when, like, instead of playing Darksiders 3, I can play, like, four smaller games. Like Guacamelee 2, which I already own, which just came out, which I'm really pumped to play. Donut County, Ben Esposito game that looks really neat that came out. Like, I'm trying out a game like Fee versus playing Darksiders 3. So it's just like, it's just frustrating, man. And a lot of it's self inflicted because I'm playing Fallout 4 and I'm playing Pokemon Heart Gold and I'm playing all these older games. But there's also just too many video games. (laughs) Release fewer (laughs) games. No, don't do that. Having choice is much better than not having choice. But I just need more time. I want more time. I need to quit my job. Yep, that's the answer. I, I need to do this full time so I can make zero dollars. And maybe eventually I'll make a little bit of money. A penny. Ugh, it sucks. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. That was just a quick bitch sesh. Because I have more games I want to play than I can possibly play. So I need to just prioritize better. Yeah. I do feel like I wasted a lot of my summer not playing certain games. And just, like, I started feeling the pressure in August. So, like, you know, the past couple episodes I had a lot of stuff that I'd been playing. Right. But I definitely feel like I wasted a big chunk of my summer. Well, Um, and I did, like, early on in the year... Because I was playing a lot of 2017 games still. And then I played through like Rise of the Tomb Raider this year, which obviously was an old game. And I've just, I've played a lot of backlog games this year, which I tend not to do because I'm so focused on new games for game of the year. But I just kind of said, I just want to take a bit of a break on that and play just games that I want to play, whether they're old or new. And I'm glad I did it, but I'm kind of regretting it a little bit now. Like I'm paying for it, I guess now, because now I have too many things that I need to play. Right, for sure. Whatever. <laughs> All right, well, what do you say we wrap this thing up with uh, some Hate of the Week? Hate of the Week. So Hate of the Week is a bit of a two-parter, or like a two-pronged hate. Because at the core of it, it is about 
shitty people on the internet, as it often is. But more specifically, it's also about me becoming a more mature adult and having empathy for other people. And that that's kind of frustrating because I enjoyed being the witty, sarcastic one who didn't care. And I'm losing a little bit of that because I'm caring more about random strangers on the internet, which sucks. It doesn't suck. It's a good thing, but it is frustrating for me because I want to be the funny, sarcastic one who's kind of an asshole. So the kind of overarching inspiration for this. So recently, the actress that played Rose in Star Wars The Last Jedi came out and made a big statement that she was like quitting social media because she's just being harassed by people that hated her character and didn't like her in Star Wars and are shitting all over her for it. So IGN had a post about that. And I've done such a better job of not looking at comments, but I looked at the comments because I fucking suck sometimes. And all of the comments were like, yeah, welcome to the internet. People are... People are assholes. You just got to suck it up. Or people saying, yeah, well, you deserved it. You were terrible in that movie. Or people like, oh, she thinks she's special because she's famous. I'm not allowed to complain, but here she is complaining. Or if you want to be a celebrity, you need to get thicker skin and deal with all people being shitty. And I look at those comments and I'm like, really? That's how we want to look at this? It's not that... We need to fix the problem of people being fucking assholes. It's just that she needs to learn how to deal with it better. It's yeah. her fault. It's literally we don't want to change blame. our behavior. Yeah. We want you to change to accommodate me yeah. being a sack of dicks. It is literally victim shaming. Like yeah. she's wrong for being upset that other people are being shitty to her. What? What? And so I left a comment and I was just kind of like, yo, this isn't okay. Why is this a reaction? Like, one, it's not okay. It doesn't matter at all. It's not okay that people are being dicks to her. Like, that's just not okay. That's the first problem. The second problem is, why are people being dicks to her? So she played a character that was bad in a fucking movie. It's not her fault the character was bad. It was a shitty character. The character shouldn't have existed. It was written poorly. I don't blame her for that character. And, like, it, that, it just... And is, even if it was her fault... It's a movie. Wh- like, what are we doing, man? Yeah. What are we doing? It's a movie. None of it actually matters. Let's all fucking chill a little bit. And I, so I made an analogy, which I get why people would say it's a bad analogy, but it's not about the, the specific example. It's about the behind the scenes. So I'll give you the analogy. So I said, we're, we're saying that... It's okay that people are harassing her. She just needs to accept it. That's the way things are. What if we had that attitude about murder? Like, oh, murder happens because it does. Murder happens all the time. We just need to accept it as a fact of life. People get murdered. We don't need to be mad at the murderers. People that get murdered, it just is what it is. They need to be better at not getting murdered. Yeah. So, like, imagine if we looked at it like that. And so somebody in the comments was like, you're really equating harassment to murder? And I was like, first, no. It was an analogy of how we look at bad things in society. So fuck off. And two, nice straw man argument. Like, you're not even addressing my point. You're completely taking it out of context to try to discredit what I'm saying instead of actually addressing the topic. So fuck off, too. And I didn't say fuck off because I didn't want to be aggressive. But 
someone then replies to that, a different guy. And this guy, his Facebook profile picture is him, shirtless, with a trucker hat and boots, lifting a beer keg over his head. So that should give you a general vibe of the kind of so person this guy is. So you already know how much his opinion matters to 100%. you. 100%. And his comment was, you got any other buzzword terms to use? Fucking grow up, pussy. And so what I did, instead of doing what I wanted to do, which is reply with some sort of witticism that would very easily go over his head, but would probably get a couple likes from people as smart as I am and embarrass him on the internet, because boy, did I want to do that. What I did do instead was just go to his profile page and block him. I didn't reply, nothing. I just blocked him. Doesn't that feel better? No. Okay. See, because I, I, think, I, I think that feels better. Because, because one, I didn't get to win. And two, he thinks he won because I didn't reply. He got the last word. But see, he still lives his life in ignorance, and that is the <laughs> ultimate failure. <laughs> right. And but he doesn't I know I don't it. ever he have to deal with him yes. or come into contact with him ever again. That is how I win. And totally what – like that's whole, my whole point is that maturity. This was the right thing to do was just block this fucking piece of shit. That was the right thing to do. I get satisfaction in that, but I didn't get vindication or justice. For this guy. That's more He'll what it is. die eventually. But also. We all that's, do. Hold on. But that's the second part. That's the real fucked up part for me. Being an adult now. Is I legitimately feel bad for him. It's not that he's a shitty person. So fuck off. I legitimately feel bad for him. Like I have empathy for him. I don't know his background. Where he is. Why he is in the position that he is in. But he is so. So insecure like it that could not be more obvious from the way that he presents himself in his profile picture of him shirtless lifting a fucking beer keg over his head calling other people pussies on the internet that fragile masculinity which is a phrase that i hate i feel like it is a very sexist phrase fragile masculinity but i feel like applies to people like this where he is so insecure in him being a hard man He's got to undermine everyone else. He's got to be the alpha dog. I feel so sorry for people like that. I It'll pity him. Off. I pity him. No, and I think that that is. I think that is good. No. Having empathy for other human beings, I think, is good. It is frustrating for me because I want to be the fun who asshole. Deserve it is healthy. Empathy for everyone is not healthy because some people don't deserve your empathy. But I think, but you don't know anything about this guy, though. That's my thing. So how do you know that he doesn't deserve it? Like, yes, it, is is he being shitty on the internet? One hundred percent. I don't know if he's if he's done other shitty things, like if he fucking beats his girlfriend or cheated on his wife or something. Then yes, fuck him. But that's a very different. Like I don't know that. I don't have that context. Like I'm not saying he doesn't deserve empathy. I'm saying he doesn't deserve your empathy. <laughs> well, he can so get it from difference? someone who his relationship with them earns him that empathy. Yeah, but maybe you he doesn't are not have owed empathy by everybody in the world at maybe all. Maybe he doesn't have anyone like that, and that it makes me feel that's even his more sorry fault, for him. Then. Not necessarily. If, I feel if, like, if okay. If you go through kind of life ch- and you don't have anybody who owes you empathy, which means you have not done anything good for anybody. I don't know, man, because there are a lot of shitty people out there. If you are only surrounded by shitty people, 
that isn't necessarily your fault. Like, you can choose to break out from that, but it's not as easy as that. It's not as black and white in that. Like, what if he grew up in a home with, like, an abusive dad and a drunk mom, and that's just his life now? He's, like, lower class. I'm to- I'm not saying this about this guy, but, like, theoretically. Right. if Like, he's poor. He lives in a trailer park. He has some shitty fucking job where he works 80 hours a week and makes minimum wage. Like, how... It is not easy to break out from that and be positive and be a good person in that situation. Yeah, but the, it's also not your job to. You're right. You're right. Like, and I'm not doing anything for that. I'm not doing anything about it. I'm not calling him up and saying, hey, man, let me help you out. I'm not doing that. The What I am doing is the minimum, which is not piling on shittiness. Not even specifically for him. But if, 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 if me not replying to him in a sarcastic way is one less angry comment on the internet then i think that's a positive thing yeah for sure yeah well, like that that's what i'm saying like blocking him was the right thing to do right but you feeling bad for him just places a burden on you for something that you don't need a burden for i'm not carrying the onus isn't on you to feel bad for him sure i'm not carrying that around with me like i'm not okay. having regrets about it it's All more right. like that's why like that was rather than my initial reaction being let me fucking embarrass this kid it was man i feel sorry for this kid that's that's that was the difference i think that is a good difference i think okay, that's a yeah. positive mature way to look at it it's more just it's less fun <laughs> cuz i like embarrassing morons on the internet everybody yeah. does except for the morons who aren't aware that they're being embarrassed so it's not even really a hate of the week it's more just like a I'm growing up, and sometimes that sucks. But it is good. Yeah. <laughs> but man, did I want to fucking... Uh, yeah. I still hate that kid. I still hate him. But I do feel bad for him a little bit. Just the tiniest bit of empathy for other human beings and their plights. So yeah, that's hate of the week. So, as we're talking about maturing and adulting and positivity... Let's end the episode as we always do with some positivity. I'll say that today I don't hate the weekend. I've had a really rough time at work with a lot of these projects. My boss now leaving. Our events manager is about to give birth and she's going to be on maternity leave right when we're having our biggest event of the year with our top clients. And now I am going to be managing that instead, which is not something I want to do, nor do I have experience doing it. And so I have all of our C-suite leadership at our company hounding me and making sure everything is exactly the way they want it. And I don't want to fucking deal with it. And I have a bunch of other shit that are actually my job responsibilities. And I have to prove my worth to my new boss because my job title does not actually describe what I do in my job. So work is fucking terrible is basically what I'm trying to say. So I'm very happy for the weekend where I can do nothing, sit in sweatpants, fucking watch some Netflix and play some damn video games. And I'm going to go get food after we're done with this. I'm not sure what yet. I'm leaning Taco Bell. Maybe um, maybe Panda Express. I'm not sure yet. I need to figure that out. But I'm do very you, excited. Do you have a weekend. good Panda Express near you? We do. Okay, because ours here is absolute shit. Yeah, I was I was bummed because where we used to live, there was a really good one close to where Kelly's parents lived, so it wasn't a super far drive. And I went there fairly frequently. And then when we moved here, I was bummed to no longer have Panda Express. Kelly doesn't like Panda Express because she's not really a big Chinese food person. So like that was like my thing. And I was very thankful to learn that, hey, we do have one that's right over by the mall here, which is good. So okay. I can still get my fast food Chinese on when I want it. Yeah, because when Mom and I were on our way down to see you, 
um, we stopped at a Panda Express okay. and got it, and it was very good. Oh, and it yeah. just it just made me extra sad that yeah. ours is so terrible. Yeah, totally. Um, well, today I don't hate donuts because honestly, it's good. One. I was sitting here this morning, could not think of a great thing that I really aggressively don't hate. Um, <laughs> right. Just because I'm miserable at work right now. Yeah. I am way overworked. I've spent. Yeah hours and hours over the past week and a half putting together presentations for new equipment that we need in the theater that the cost burden shouldn't be on the theater program it should be on facilities and so i have to put together all this shit for it and do all the legwork and communicate with all these people and then present it and i've been doing a crazy amount of work on that which is why i haven't had time to do anything fun sure so actually okay no, i should say i don't a i don't hate donuts b i don't hate my fiance and c <laughs> i don't hate that I will have time to play some Resident Evil 7 immediately following this podcast. Sure. Video games are always great. Even if it's like a sad game, like or like a sad movie for me, even if I'm already depressed and watching a sad thing or playing a sad game, you might think that would make it worse. But it's something about, the, it's the escapism. And I'm always like, if, if a thing can make me feel a thing, I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I really get enjoyment out of that. So, yes, can't blame you for uh, being excited to play some games. I will say it's slightly suspect that you listed donuts above your fiance. That's just because it said... was written on the thing first. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm teasing you. But, yes, but donuts, also donuts, donuts are, are great. <laughs> donuts are really good. <laughs> donuts are really, really good. We have a Dunkin' Donuts, like, right down the road. Oh, and man. I... I mean, I've fallen off the whole diet train, the workout train, really bad, and it sucks. And I, can't, I hate thinking about it. But it's... It's for a good reason, which we can't talk about right now, but it's for a good reason why I have succumbed to shittier food, shittier life habits. But uh, that's one thing that I'm unwilling to let myself do is get donuts because Kelly won't eat them. And so if I go and get a half dozen donuts, I'm eating a half dozen donuts and they only last for like two days before they yes. get crusty, so I'm eating six donuts in two days. Yes, I can't you do are. That to no, I can't do that. I mean, I'm not saying do it regularly, but like once a year, get that oh, half sure. dozen. Oh, sure, totally. But my just, problem was I was mm. doing it like once every other month. Oh, okay. And that's too much donuts. Yeah, that is. If Kelly would eat two, like if she'd eat a couple, or frankly, what I should do is just go and buy two donuts – but that's so not worth the money. Well, yeah, because like it's like, hey, you can get two donuts for like two dollars, or you can get six for like eighty nine cents. <laughs> exactly. It's like I'm saving money. <laughs> right. I think Jim Gaffigan has a bit about that. <laughs> I'm sure he does. So yeah, donuts. I agree are are very good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, that'll do it. Uh, good solid podcast today. As always, thank you, Kyle, for joining. Thanks everybody for listening. And check out ShayHatesEverything.com where you can get the show notes for this episode. Um, I know, I think I mentioned it last episode, but I got my God of War review up there, my nice, like, 2,400-word God of War review I'm really proud of. Some other great content. Check that shit out, shadesdiving.com. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace out. Peace out.